Your move, creep. Son, your ego is writing checks your body can't cash. The only thing I know how to do. It's a good-looking boy. I'm a member of the Imperial Senate. That's right, Lord. Welcome to Earth. You crossed the line. Yeah, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Retrograde Podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about older movies. We talk about how they were made, how they were received, and whether or not they hold up. I am Austin. And I'm George. So, guys, we finished our month of Cameron. 2023 is here. Well, we're not really done with Cameron yet. Well, actually, that is is a good point. That is a good point. Austin, what more do we have with Cameron? Well, we are launching our Patreon, and our first episode will be a... Like, kind of hour-long review of Avatar 2, The Way of Water. We're going to start our Patreon. We're going to have, like, all of our uh, takes on modern movies. We're going to make tier lists on, like, the Marvel movies, Star Wars movies, James Bond, etc. We're going to have, like, a little writing exercise where we have, like, an hour to pitch a sequel to a movie that we won't know until we record the episode. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, and there's going to be a, like a small fee for like the lowest tier where you get some of the episodes for $2. For $5, you get all the episodes. And if you just love us and you want us to like keep doing this and support us in our efforts in creating content in the retrograde podcast um, space, <laughs> you can give us $15 a month. We can't give you anything more than we can give you from the $5 uh, tier, but if you love us and have disposable income, don't don't feel pressured to give us $15 for nothing extra. <laughs> but it's there. And it's going to be starting at the end of the month. And again, our episodes on retro, our retro reviews are still going to be going out to Spotify. So don't worry. If you just like these episodes, these will still be going out. No problem. This regular format will always be like two to three episodes a month and it'll always be free. Yeah. So really think about that 15 tier as like uh, the sugar baby, you know, or the sugar mama, sugar daddy kind of tier. So again, (laughs) it's more than welcomed. But again, don't feel obligated. And our regular episodes will always be free. So. So. Right. Thank you for all your support, by the way. We get some awesome messages from you guys, so we're really excited to give you stuff. We give you even more stuff. I feel like every like nice message that we get makes me love doing the show even more. Yeah, I've gotten some messages where it's like, I revisited this movie because of your episode. And I'm like, yes, that's the... Exactly. Like, we want to expose you to new movies, movies you haven't seen in a while. And it's like, give it a chance, because revisiting this stuff... Or seeing it for the first time can be extremely re- rewarding. So I've learned a lot from doing this podcast. And I'm glad you guys are enjoying it. So thank you so much for all your support. Now, for this week's episode, we've got a really special one. Because this is actually one, a new first. As this is a unique presentation uh, that I don't think we've covered. There's a different format that I don't think we've covered earlier in the podcast. Um. And well, this is also a film that neither of us have seen, but we will have a guest who has seen it, right, Austin? Right. So you and I are going to be guided into this this new world. Austin, 
what's the movie that we're going to be talking about this week? This week, we will be talking about My Neighbor Totoro, directed and written by Hayao Miyazaki, the Studio Ghibli guy. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because normally this is the part of the episode where we talk about, well, here are the memories that I had, good, bad, whatever. But neither of us have ever seen this movie. I've seen a few Miyazaki films. Actually, you let me borrow a DVD, which I still have to return. Uh, oh my Howl's, God. Howl's Moving <laughs> Castle, which I thoroughly enjoyed. And then I saw Princess Mononoke in theaters, I think like last year, two years ago. or No, maybe th- mm-hmm. three years ago. When AMC had a presentation of Studio Ghibli Films. But outside of that, this is a world that I am not really familiar with. Uh, this is a 2D animated film, which is the first 2D animated film that we will be talking about on this podcast. We've talked mm-hmm. about 3D with uh, Toy Story, but this is our first 2D. I'm not too familiar with 2D. There's a Japanese film from a Japanese production company, which I'm not too familiar with, from a director that I'm really not all that familiar with either like i just this is really uncharted waters for me (laughs) uh interesting i've seen a few of his movies or a a few of the studio ghibli movies i'm not really sure how to pronounce it i in japanese they say ghibli i think or ghibli or ghibli we'll find out on the research part of the episode but uh i've seen I haven't seen My Neighbor Totoro. I've seen Spirited Away. That might have been my first. Or Princess Mononoke. And the one with the witch. Um, oh, Kiki's, Kiki's Delivery. Yes, Kiki's Delivery Service. Nausicaa. And I feel like I've seen one more. Oh, Howl's Moving Castle, of course. Oh. I've seen that one. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think the first movie I saw was Mononoke. And, I, you know, I was like... a dumb teenage boy so i was like where's all the action i want more violence in my Mm -hmm. anime and then i saw spirited away and i was like oh this is a really good movie uh and then i saw the rest of them i'm like damn this like kiki's delivery service is one of those movies where like not a lot happens but it just you just feel everything like especially as an adult you know pandemic times it really hits hard and like it's a very like low stakes movie. Like a guy almost falls, and that's probably like, the most dangerous thing that happens in that movie. But I know it still like left an impact on me. Uh, as for my neighbor Totoro, I've seen the Totoro stuffed animals, the Totoro mm-hmm. merchandise everywhere. I remember seeing that even like uh, going to school and stuff. People would have that like the those like pen caps, but it's Totoro. I've seen Totoro everywhere, and I've never seen this movie. Same. That fluffy creature, I don't know what it is. <laughs> I've seen, like, it, it, he's that creature is kind of like a mascot, you know? Like, oh, I don't know where it's from, who's it by, what it means, what it is, but I know that it's, like, something in the pop culture area. You know, it's kind of like Hello Kitty. Like, I don't yeah. really know... Who or what Hello Kitty is? Like I don't know. I think Hello Kitty is just the the product. Okay, oh, I I have no idea, but it becomes so point. It becomes so recognizable that you're like, oh, that's a Hello mm-hmm. Kitty thing, even though I never bought 
anything for it, or I, I never saw a movie tied to it or anything. It's it, That's kind of the relationship I have with this film. I've heard of it. It's cute. Uh, I, I know there's like a weird creature or something that has like a like a black cloak and like a white mask i think um that's from uh spirited away no face okay i thought it was from this one okay so i'm no so i'm getting my my films mixed up i'll say this it looks cute i think one of the concerns is just uh how much am i gonna cry because i just feel like when you have a creature <laughs> like that you're gonna just want to cry yeah you know and i'm like Oh, is this going to be one of those movies where it's just like, you tear my heart slowly? I, I'm i not exactly sure, but... And that's the thing, I don't know what to expect from this movie. Like, sometimes when we do other movies like that, you kind of get a vibe of what you're going to be watching, right? Like, my uh, The Grace Lee Project, which you talked about. Okay, we both knew it was a documentary that talking about Korean identity in America. Okay, you know, I, I kind of got that from the early trailer. Uh, and as you watch the film, you kind of learn more about it. It's like, oh, okay, this is this is what I'm getting at. I, and you know how, like, you you will look at a poster for a movie and be like, oh, that's an action film. That's a drama. That's a suspense. A horror film. You know, you kind of and you start kind of thinking up what the story will be. I look at this poster for My Neighbor Totoro. I have no idea what this is. Yeah, I don't know the if it's bus a stop romance. one. The one where she's at the bus stop? Yeah, and, like, the creature is kind of, like, slightly silhouetted by some yeah, shadow. There's, like, a little girl with an umbrella in the rain at a bus stop. And then there's, like, a creature next to her with a leaf on his head. I have no or idea what this head. is. Like, I don't... It's a children's movie. Okay, I, I get that, but... So, it's not a horror film. Probably, there's no murder. Okay. <laughs> um action i don't know i mean maybe there's like a chase scene or something it could be a romantic romance film it could be a comedy it could be coming of age it could be drama i i really don't know that's what intrigues me about this film mm. there's a there's kind of like mystique in the air that i'm like oh what is this about and i'm finally yeah. gonna learn if you're okay guessing from the poster what do you think it's about just if you had to make a guess okay i would say it's a story about a little girl who's maybe um, maybe she moves and from the countryside into the city and she sees that the city is like this big, grungy looking kind of dystopian place. <laughs> I, I don't, I'm guessing just from the looking at the poster. <laughs> no, just from the poster. And somehow she starts seeing this creature follow her around Um. And it's kind of like a made-up friend or something, you know, Totoro, you know, mm -hmm. who happens to be a, a neighbor, but he's like a figment of her imagination. And she's like, no, Totoro's real. He's standing right next to me. And the parents are like, oh, she's crazy. Look, uh, you know, and I <laughs> think it's maybe a way for her to cope with feeling alone in a yeah. large metropolitan area. Because I know, because I know for, for a fact that Miyazaki has like this... Um, he likes including nature in his films, you know, like Howl's yes. Moving Castle. There's um, the scenes of nature and stuff and, and the sit uh, juxtaposed with the city. And it's funny when um, HBO Max released, they have an entire Studio Ghibli section, right? Mm -hmm. And to promote it, they released like a 30 minute montage of like these 
nature shots that are like really calm and beautiful and relaxing. It's kind of like a nature ASMR, but through the eyes of Hia Miyazaki and Studio Ghibli. So nature is a very much important part of his stories or their stories, you know, Studio Ghibli. So I guess that's what it is. I'm not entirely sure. I, I Again, but that's my guess. Okay. Yeah, judging from the poster, I would say that she, maybe maybe Totoro is not real and mm-hmm. the girl's feeling alone. Um, but I, I, like you said, Miyazaki does care a lot about the environment. So I, I'd imagine um, Totoro represents the, like nature and she, like maybe a, a wanting to go back to, to or a wanting to respect nature more is maybe the theme of the movie in in like a modern industrialized world Mm -hmm. like you're being pulled back to like the respecting nature and stuff that's my guess from the poster yeah yeah it's i i think thinking about it that way just because i mean you compare totoro's design and you compare the little girls color their color palette uh like to the background that's dark and like rusty you know decaying um that's that's my guess, but who knows? Um, I it is I and I I'll say this: I may not be able to identify what the movie's about through the poster, but I like that. Mm-hmm. I like feeling like I don't know the entire film from the poster. It's, you know, it's funny. Like, do you think the leaf on his head is to protect him from the rain? Probably, yeah. That's funny. Like it's Leaf maybe covers like five percent of his body. <laughs> no, I, I think that's what it. I think that's what it is. You know, because the little girl's clearly w- having an umbrella. You know, because she yeah. wants to protect herself. Probably the creature's like, I'll do the same, but I'll use this leaf. It's <laughs> funny. So that's what I like. I like having these films that I don't know what it's about. Going in and kind of seeing. All right, let's let this be a real experience. Right. Like, mm-hmm. let's let's figure out what this is. And man, I've been surprised plenty of times like that. Plenty of times where I would walk in not knowing anything about the movie and I walk out thinking, wow, that was an experience that usually comes from just not knowing what the film is. And when you have a, a poster that is more artistically driven than like commercially, like, oh, we have Chris Evans in our poster. I think it makes the experience <laughs> a bit more exciting when i'm about to watch the Mm -hmm. film that's fair i do want to see what the film has to say about nature because i feel like i'm more receptive to films with that message as i've gotten older uh this movie came out in 1988 but it didn't get released with an english dub until much later and so we'll we'll talk about the english dub too uh but this movie came out in 88 and let's go back to the box office of 1988. Uh, some great movies on here and some real stinkers. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, okay, number one at the box office of 1988 worldwide. Who framed Roger Rabbit? Ooh. Oh, we got to do that one at some point. We have to. Yeah. Oh, I love that movie. It's great. Number two, Rain Man uh, with uh, Dustin Hoffman and Tom, Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise. Oh, Tom Cruise is on here a lot. Really? Uh, yeah. Uh, number three, Coming to America. Fantastic movie. Number four, Big. Mm. Number five, 
twins. <laughs> Wait, is that the Arnold Schwarzenegger one? Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito. Yeah, that's <laughs> the one. I wonder how how much this this one holds up. Um, number six, Crocodile Dundee two. Number seven, Die Hard. <gasps> oh. Number eight, The Naked Gun. Number nine, Cocktail. Oh, with Tom Cruise. Yes, I guess he's only on on he's only in the top ten twice. And then number ten was Beetlejuice. Also coming out this year, Rambo three, Scrooged, um, Willow, Oliver and Company, Young Guns, a movie called The Deadpool, not Marvel Comics Deadpool. It's The Deadpool, Child's Play. This is Chucky's first movie. Mm. Um, Short Circuit two. And let's see. Let's see like a random one. Oh, Poltergeist 3. Mm. I was going to say that list sounds somewhat familiar. I was like, because I, I think we've talked about Die Hard being on the top 10. I was like, oh, let me see. Let me look yeah. at our episodes and see if we've done a movie from this year. I I remember which movie. I just looked it up. So I didn't remember. <laughs> but we talked about the Beast. Yes. So I, I remember it because... Rambo three had a similar um, setting, similar, similar setting, really. That's the only thing that it had in common. And because of that, the beast may have not gotten like a full theatrical distribution. Mm-hmm. Man. Where does my neighbor Totoro fit here? It's a very different vibe of movie compared well, to the, the top 10 here. Absolutely. I mean, outside of, the Roger Rabbit one, I don't know if there's no other animation film. Yeah, I, you have to go down to like 17 with Oliver and Company to to see a, an animated film up here. Like a, a traditionally 2D animated film. Mm-hmm. And I don't think, I don't know if Oliver and Company was like a, a big success. I feel like I, I always hear about that one in the context of like, oh yeah, this, these are the dark times for Disney. <laughs> like what? I like that movie. <laughs> <laughs> the level of success that this movie had, you know, when it came out in theaters, like, was it a box office success? It was critically adored. The movie has amazing reviews, you know? Oh, yeah. Uh, it has amazing reviews. So critically, I'm not surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if it came out with glowing reviews, uh, mm-hmm. unlike some other films like Blade Runner that were received poorly at first, but eventually got a cult following. Uh, I'm wondering financially how the film did. It's Totoro cr- has huge, huge critical acclaim. It's not 95% on the tomato meter. Yeah. Um, so I'm really curious to see financially how it was. Was it a big success? Was it okay? Did it flop? And also the reception that it had in the US. Because that's that's something that Studio Ghibli films have done. They will do dub versions and they'll bring in like famous American actors to, the, to do the voice. Like in Howl's Moving Castle, they have Christian Bale... A uh, ton of A-listers to the voices. So I wonder, and I'm curious to see how the re-release of My Neighbor Totoro in the United States, dubbed, did as well. If it was a huge success or if it's something that slowly grew in the United States. Okay. And uh, I will be looking up um, a little about... Uh, 
how Miyazaki incorporates his environmentalism into his movies, specifically this one. Um, I'm curious about what people like about it. I want to I want to see why people love this movie so much that they want to like buy all the merch and stuff. Because I I feel like this movie had to have made money because of all the merchandise I see from it. You know, mm-hmm. um, maybe I can go into that. Like, how much how much is Totoro worth? I guess. Ooh, that's a good question. I mean, not that it would be a good movie, like not that right. the quality of the movie would be affected by it. You, you, a good movie is a good movie, but mm-hmm. Totoro is a big figure. You know, yeah, how big? I would. I'm actually kind of curious about that a little bit. It's it's funny how like these these. Like, I think Cameron cares a lot about environment, the environment too. But I, I think Miyazaki like loves nature. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting how these two people have something that is, you know, that they care a lot about in their in their movies. But they're also something that has made millions, if not billions worth of dollars, you know. <laughs> so it's ironic, I guess. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, you, you brought it up in our Avatar episode. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And another thing I'm curious about. um, just the animation techniques that went into this film. I mean, obviously, 2D animation is hard as hell. I'm curious mm-hmm. about the process. I kind of want to have a quick read-through of it. It's funny. I went to the Academy Museum, and I bought a Miyazaki book. Oh, uh, yeah. We bought the same book. Yeah. I haven't opened it, actually. I haven't same. read I haven't looked through it. I <laughs> walked through the exhibit. Beautiful. But I bought the book. I'm curious to read through it. You know, maybe see what I could find about my neighbor, Totoro. This is going to be a really interesting episode. I have no idea what to expect, if it's for me, if I'm going to cry, if I'm going to be cynical. I really don't know. Uh, there's, a, there's a fog of mystery around this film for me. So <laughs> I'm, I'm really, really intrigued. And there's a lot to talk about, too. Yes. Um, and one last thing I am curious about is whether how faithful is the dubbed version to the subtitled version because i do know that sometimes people will pull a fast one and not translate it one for one sometimes there's some things that you can't really translate to well sometimes it's for censorship yeah that is true like sailor moon dub sailor moon dub is like notoriously censored a lot of stuff in, in sailor moon in the dub so i'm really curious to see if there's anything like that i know of like one thing but uh, maybe we'll find out more on the research part of the episode. Uh, joining us on the on the second part of the episode is my girlfriend, Liana. Liana loves, loves, loves Miyazaki movies, loves Studio Ghibli, loves Totoro. I believe we, we had or have a, a stuffed Totoro figure around the house, maybe a few. But she's excited to talk about this movie. I'm excited to show this movie to me because I've never seen it before. And we've, if you if you think you've heard her before, it's because she was on our Legally Blonde episode. Mm-hmm. Which, funny enough, that was also the first time I was watching that movie. <laughs> so uh, it, was, it was actually really cool. So this is still the second time where I'm watching something where Leanna is going to be guiding me through. So I'm... Well, did you watch Hell's Moving? You watched Hell's Moving Castle. Yeah, but but not. Okay. But, but I never talked about it with Leanna on the podcast. Uh-huh. Every time Leanna's been on, it's been for a movie that I have not seen. 
which Great. is only two times, but you know, <laughs> I now this is like a tradition. Like every time Leanna comes along, it has to be a movie that I haven't seen. Mm-hmm. But I'm really excited. She sounds in love with this movie. I'm really curious to figure out why she loves it and kind of her experience growing up with these movies in particular, my neighbor Totoro. So it's going to be great. Stay tuned guys. This is going to be an awesome episode. A great way to start like 2023, you know, like our 2023 slate. Yeah. Okay. So if you would like to watch my neighbor Totoro, it is on HBO max. You can also find it on Amazon and YouTube and Google uh, for like the four or $3 rentals. Um, and with that, we will see you in one minute. Dad, there's that big camper tree. It's incredible. sure it was here? Mm-hmm. Dad, she says the hole disappeared. Then right now the forest spirits don't want to be seen. But Dad, I want to see them too. Maybe you will, if you're lucky. Mm, magnificent tree. It's been around since long ago, back in the time when trees and people used to be friends. When I saw this tree, I knew this would be a good place for our family to live. I think it'll make your mother feel right at home. So, let's give this tree a nice greeting and go eat our lunch. Hello everybody, we are back from watching My Neighbor Totoro from 1988, directed and written by Hayao Miyazaki from Studio Ghibli, or you can also say Ghibli. You can say both. Oh, you can? Okay, we'll get that fun fact out of the way at the very beginning. Ghibli is the name of a plane that he liked because he's into planes. And then when you translate it into Japanese, he you pronounce it with the characters Jiburi. So you can say Jiburi, Ghibli, because that's what he actually named it after. Or you can say Ghibli because it's kind of like the in-between. Ah, okay, interesting. I was curious because there was a couple of pronunciations online. And I was like, I, the first one that you said sounds most authentic. The problem is like, I just don't want it to come off as a little maybe insensitive when I do it or something. You know what I mean? Like you're pronouncing it wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And I just don't want to like, like you're saying it wrong. I'm like, all right, I'll just. Yeah. You can say Ghibli, Ghibli or Ghibli. It's fine. Okay, cool. So we just watched My Neighbor Totoro. And joining us on this part of the episode is my girlfriend, Liana. Hello. <laughs> Liana, it's good to have you back. I'm excited. Last time you were on the podcast, uh, we were talking about Legally Blonde, which I absolutely loved. It's a great yes. episode. And that was a movie that I hadn't seen, but you did. You were a big fan of it. And this this episode is kind of the same scenario, except also I don't think... Well, you didn't see this movie before, right, Austin? I have never seen My Neighbor Totoro. Okay. And you, did you watch Legally Blonde before we did the episode? I had, Okay. Yeah. So really, 
you and I kind of went in this episode blind and Leanna mm-hmm. is like our guide is like our um, Gandalf kind of. <laughs> oh God, don't call me that. <laughs> I'd been hyping this movie up for a while with him and I was like, oh my God, you have to watch this. And you know, it's, it's one of my favorites. How have you not seen this one? This is like one of the OG movies from Studio Ghibli. And he was like, I just, you know, we talked about Princess Mononoke and, you know, he just he just hadn't watched it. So this was a, a good enough opportunity for us to get this one um, seen by him. So let me just ask you real quick before we get into the film. How big of a you are you of a fan of like Studio Ghibli films? Um, because you love this movie, but like as a whole, do you follow Studio Ghibli? Uh, have you seen their other films or is it kind of like a special place? A, a spe- does this this particular movie have a special place in your heart exclusively? Well, this this one definitely has a, a special place. Um, so, I mean, uh, I'm a quarter Japanese. My grandmother um, is Japanese. She grew up in Japan. She grew up during the war, actually. Um, was there during the bombings. Um, so she, she has a real um, connection to... Grave of the Fireflies mm-hmm. and Totoro, which I didn't I didn't really realize until I was much, much older. But she wanted me to watch all these movies. She wanted me to learn Japanese. So did my mom. They wanted me to understand my, you know, cultural backgrounds. Uh, so when I was little, we had the VHS and I would watch the VHS over and over again. Um, but we had the VHS, I believe it was the the Japanese one. Uh, <laughs> I keep getting a mix of dub, sub, whatever the... the oh, you had the Japanese language, but the yeah. English subtitles? No, it was just from Japan, like the, just the... Oh, okay. So yeah. you, you, there was no subtitles? No. Okay. Oh, really? Interesting. Well, because I couldn't cheat. Oh, uh, because this was your way of like learning yeah. Japanese. Okay. Oh. And so, because the relatives would send it over. Ah, uh, yeah. And I, I just remember it being only in Japanese. And then my grandma would talk to me about it afterwards, and she would t- ask me like, "Oh, what was this part about? What, what do you remember about this?" Um. So, that's like one of my earliest memories. Um. With my grandma, I was that you know she learning Japanese with my grandma when I was a young kid, and it's an easy movie, relatively easy movie to understand because it's it's pretty simple um, as far as Japanese goes. So you know, and if there were any difficult parts that I you know struggled with, she would help me out with that. Um, when you t- used to talk, when you talked to your grandma, especially growing up, mm-hmm. did you talk to her in Japanese or was it in English or how did you guys communicate? Oh, it's like both. Like it's you know, you kind of have like that <laughs> that half English, half Japanese. Um, I think that most you know people have like when, Spanglish, but yeah, like, or Japanese. That's exactly why I was curious because I, I was with my grandma the same <laughs> <Jap-English>. way. English. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's kind of like baby talk mixed in with English. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Cause this is the same way with my grandma growing up. It used to be uh, English and Spanish, like going in and out. So I was just, I was just slightly curious about that. (laughs) That's, that's awesome. And that's wonderful too, that it was like when movies are kind of somehow are connected to your family, like whether you watch it together or you kind of like your parents kind of 
introduce the film to you, it makes it somewhat special. And it's almost like it's part of your DNA. You know, I mean, I think that's why Star Wars hits so close to me is because I used to watch it with my dad all the time. And um, Austin, I feel I think you're the same way, too. You know? Oh, yeah, for sure. So it's no secret. You love this movie. You think this movie's great. Oh, yeah. Austin, what do you think about the movie? Uh, I thought it was beautiful. I loved it. Um, it was. Uh, I think part of it, what made it like an enriching experience, too, is like I get to see Leanna watch it like so I get to see it for myself and then see her reactions to things because it's something that means a lot to her. So it, I think it kind of enhanced the experience. Mm-hmm. So I loved it. I I liked how there was not really it wasn't really plot heavy. It wasn't like super complicated, but it made me feel good. You know, like it's a really feel good movie. Like from the beginning, it's it has a really like um, calming, um, a calming effect over you. Because I was feeling like kind of sleepy, but like not bored, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. towards the beginning of the movie. And it's like, this, this feels nice, you know? <laughs> no, that's a great and way then, of describing it. And then by the end, it's like that song that they keep repeating, the dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. That, like, ooh, it feels good, you know? Nice is a good way of putting it. And not nice and like, oh, it's nice, I guess. It's like, no, it's a very nice, calming movie. Um, So, <laughs> ooh, ooh, okay. I, I'm, I'm wondering how I'm going to talk about this movie because this movie's interesting. And I think the, re- the, the reason it's interesting is because I haven't seen too many Miyazaki films. I've seen probably, this is my third one, Howl's Moving Castle and uh, Princess Mononoke. You're welcome. And, oh, yes. Yeah, I still have the DVD, by the way. I have not lost it. Okay. <laughs> it is looking over me right now. <laughs> Judging you from the corner. <laughs> Give me back. Um, so walking in, uh, so, I mean, I still have some general, I haven't seen enough to really say I'm a Miyazaki expert or an expert on Japanese filmmaking or even animation. This is very this this is a movie that is very distant to me because I'm not crazy about animation, Japanese culture I'm not too aware of, and Miyazaki I've only seen two other films. That's and I've only seen each of those films once, or maybe Howl's Moving Castle twice, but one of those times was so in the background. Um, mm-hmm. So kind of walking in, I kind of had these expectations, which or these assumptions that you know I was explaining Austin like, all right, from the poster, this is what I'm guessing the film is. I was wrong. <laughs> pretty pretty off. Not and, not that far off, I don't think. Well, not that far off, but it sound I sounded a bit more like, you know, like the daughters were going to be like really upset cuz they were moving in the city and well it's it's completely opposite. They're moving out into the the countryside. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't exactly sure what to expect. I was like, "Well, Miyazaki makes sad movies, so I'm imagining something <laughs> sad's going to happen in this." And I was expecting something a bit more of like a journey, you know, because it's a children's movie and you have a lot of movies that deal with journeys, right? Like the hero's journey, right? And that just comes from being conditioned with Disney movies. So watching this movie for like the first 20, for the first 10, 20 minutes, I was like, oh, this is really beautiful. I love the style. It looks great. And by the 25 minute mark, I'm like, right, so what's the point? what's what's happening where's Totoro you know I was getting a little bit impatient Totoro doesn't come into the film like maybe until like the 40 minute mark late 30s 
And it's a cute intro. And I was like, okay, but what's, what's the journey? What's going to happen? What's the overall thing? And I had to pause the movie because I was like, wow, this is so not what I was expecting. Like, uh, I, you know, because number one, people have said that this is one of the greatest animation, animated films of all time. And they've said a lot of positive things. So I'm like, why is it? Is it just not hitting me? I guess. Am I not feeling it? What? Like, I don't get what's happening, you know? So I had to I actually had to stop the movie and leave. Uh, it's just like, I have some other things I need to do. I got to, you know. So I went back uh, a few hours later and I was like, let me start this over again. Let me give this a fair shot. And it was like right before I went to bed and it was like, I guess having already known what the first 40 minutes of the movie were going to entail, I was like, let me just relax. Let me not demand so much of this movie. Let me not hold it against other films, animated, Western like critically acclaimed films. Let me just take it for what it is, right? And I guess because I had like my lowered my my film voice, you know, the oh, this auteur is so good, you know, like because I had lowered <laughs> that. I was like enjoying the film a lot more and I wasn't like being so snooty about it, you know? Like snooty Jorge filmmaking Jorge still comes out every now and then. Mm -hmm. And I guess because I had already known what was happening, I was just appreciating the little details of it. And then I started thinking about my childhood and what was happening in the film and just like, man, Totoro is so cute. And these two sisters are really cute. So when you get into the final act of the film, it kind of took me off guard because that's exactly what I was expecting. But in the very beginning... Yeah, but when that, but when the when the finale comes in, it hit a lot harder, and I felt kind of like, like kind of heartbroken. You know, I was like, oh my god, like, ah, oh, just with the sandal too, it just caught me off guard, and I was mm -hmm. like, oh no, this is it. <laughs> and and at the end, I loved the film. I loved it. It wasn't the film I was expecting it to be. You know this high art critically acclaimed like just this bombastic you know like frozen and, and it just it wasn't that you put frozen up there or like you know or like coco you know coco finding nemo you know and it's like mm -hmm. and i think that's when i realized like i was going in with the wrong expectations and that's mm -hmm. very much on me and i was like this is a beautiful film it's layered, it has meaning, it's beautifully done, and it's so nostalgic for, like, your child, my, my childhood. I, I'm guessing for all of our childhoods. Like, Leanna, yeah. obviously, because of your connection with your family. But even certain things that the children do, you're like, oh, my God, I can't remember the last time I did something, or I had that feeling. And that second time I watched it, I loved it. I think it's incredible. We don't get movies like this anymore that are G-rated, that is more of, like, going with the journey. Because that's this movie. It's the journey. Like, some other films will build up the ending to be this incredible battle between good and evil. And this movie's not that. This movie's like, this mm -hmm. is your childhood. These are We're going to replicate the feelings that you had as children. And that's the beauty of it. Go in and appreciate that. It really is just, like them living their lives as little kids and just he translates that so perfectly mm -hmm. and 
just the feelings of, you know, that transition between like you're careless and happy and then dealing with those emotions of like having to deal with really grown up things as a kid. Like when um Do you want to get into the the story for listeners who haven't seen Yeah, let's go ahead and do that because we're gonna we're gonna get world deep. <laughs> oh yeah, we're gonna get in. Okay, so normally this is the part of the episode where we try to like uh, break down the story for those of you who haven't seen Totoro and, or have seen Totoro in the past and uh, want to like remember what we're, we're what happens in it so we can talk about it in depth. Uh, we'd like to summarize the story here. And sometimes when we have a guest and the, the guest feels comfortable enough, we will let them take over the summary duties. <laughs> Do you feel comfortable enough to summarize Totoro? Um... I'm not prepared. It's okay. I'll just, I'll have you do it because then I'm going to get off track and I feel like I would rather get more in depth in this. No worries. No worries. Absolutely. No worries. I mean, real quick. I mean, obviously, I think if you haven't seen this movie, I think we all very eagerly recommend the film. Go check it out. It's on HBO Mm -hmm. Max, the dubbed version that was released in 2006, but it's very well dubbed. It's, it's got the Japanese language one too, but you have to... They do it weird on HBO Max. Like you have to go to like the 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 home page of like the film before you can like watch the film. Then you can change the language there, and then oh. you can change the subtitles. But you can't change the dub as you're watching the film. Okay, so I weird. tried watching it in Japanese, but it wouldn't let me because I was doing that. It's weird. It's they got a lot of issues over there at Warner Brothers <laughs> Discovery. And like, um, watch it however you want. Don't let anyone pressure you if you feel more comfortable watching it in English. It's just, for me personally, I feel more attached to the Japanese voices. So just watch it however it feels more comfortable for you. Right. You're totally right. 100%. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, would, I, I would just quickly say, again, I think if you've never seen this movie... Try to go in with more open expectations. Because if you go in like me demanding the film to do certain things, you may not get as much out of it as you want or as you could. So that's my only right. caveat. Okay. So the movie takes place in 1950s Japan. About we have two girls, Satsuki and Mei. Satsuki is the older sister. She's like in third grade, I think. And Mei is four years old. She's doesn't even go to school yet. And they are moving with their dad, who is a professor at a university. Uh, and they're just kind of driving along the country countryside, moving to a rural area. Uh, they're kind of riding in the back. And there's, they're getting the, a view of the new place. They're excited. They're, they're kind of goofing around. And when they get to the house, uh, they kind of like run around the house. And they're exploring everything. And they see these like... Black soot balls, I think they call them. Soot sprites. The black, what are they called? Soot sprites. The soot sprites. And they're like, they're not bugs, but they're some kind of creature. And they're like, what is, what's happening here? And then they meet an older woman who they call Nanny uh, or Grandma. Granny. Who's not really a grandma. She's like a neighbor. And she's like, oh, you saw the, the soot sprites. Well, you know, they'll go away when you have a good time, when you... You settle in and are comfortable here, and they'll find somewhere else to live. Uh, so they're living, they're like, you know, getting settled in. There's big, like, 
wind storms and stuff and they're kind of freaking out that the house might collapse but the dad's like don't worry about it we'll laugh away the spirits and then they just kind of have a good time taking the the family bath and then the soot sprites they kind of like go away to this giant tree that lives next to them the next day or so uh, satsuki goes to school may's at home with her dad and may is kind of wandering around the outside area that they're like new patches of garden and and whatever and she finds like this little like bunny thing that kind of goes in and out of invisibility it's like transparent a little bit it doesn't it doesn't exactly look like a bunny but for i don't know what to call it it's the little totoro tiny totoro we'll call him tiny totoro and he's just like carrying around these acorns and she follows him and she ends up like tumbling into like this giant like uh, tree area that's like in the the woods. And she lands on top of a giant Totoro. And she's like, who are you? And the Totoro like growls at her, but like not in a scary way. Like he's yawning. And then she's like, oh, Totoro, you must be Totoro. And then he's like, uh, okay. And then he just kind of goes to sleep. And then she falls asleep on him. And then when Satsuki comes home, they're looking for May and they, they find her like in the forest, but a different area from when she fell asleep in. And she's like, oh, wait, where'd Totoro go? And they're like, what? Totoro? Do you mean like the troll from your, your, your uh, children's book? And she's like, no, Totoro, I'll show you. And she kind of runs around the forest, but she can't find him. And uh, Satsuki and, and the dad kind of laugh at her. Uh, but then she's like, no, I'm, I'm serious. Don't, I'm not lying. I, I saw him. And then uh, the dad takes him further into the forest and tells him that the trees and the humans used to be good friends and that Totoro may come back. He's just kind of shy. But it seems like he, he has also seen Totoro. It's alluded that maybe he used to be able to see him as the granny used to be able to see the soot sprites. But he's just, he doesn't say that she's lying or anything. He just says, okay, let's, let's say thank you to the forest for taking care of May. And they do a kind of like prayer thing to a shrine. And then they go back home. Eventually, the, we find out that the, the mother is sick and she's at a hospital. And that's why they've moved out to this rural part of Japan. Satsuki goes to school. May stays with the grandma. But... May is missing her sister, so she like she she's upset, so Granny takes her over to the school and tells Satsuki she just misses you too much. So then May kind of like sits in Satsuki's classes. And then at the end of the day, when they're going home, it starts to rain. And there's this other boy, Kanto, who has an umbrella, and he sees that they don't, and he kind of like gives them the umbrella, but they're like, Oh no, we don't want to impose. But he like drops the umbrella and then like runs away <laughs> forcing them to like take the umbrella so they take the umbrella they go home they get their umbrella they go back to kanto's house who is kanto is actually granny's grandson and they return the the umbrella to him and they go to the bus stop to wait for their dad to come home and they're waiting there and they're waiting there and they're waiting there and then he's he's not on the bus he's supposed to be on so they continue waiting there and then Totoro appears next to Satsuki. May's fallen 
fallen asleep. She's kind of carrying her. And she sees Totoro there, who has a leaf on his head, which is in the poster. And she gives him her dad's umbrella. And Totoro is so excited about this umbrella because of the, the sound the rainfall makes when it touches the umbrella and then the umbrella touches his ears. Um, and he's like, hell yes, this is the most exciting thing I've, I've ever had. And then a bus arrives, but this bus is a little weird because it's a giant cat with rats for lights. And the cat bus invites Totoro on. Totoro gives Satsuki and Mei a little gift and he gets on his cat bus and then the cat bus drives off. And then the dad shows up in his bus and he's like, oh, sorry, I was late. What did I miss? And they're like, Totoro gave us a gift. And then he's like, oh, wow, nice. The gift was actually a bunch of acorns. So they plant those acorns in the soil. They write a letter to their mom talking about Totoro and the, the uh, acorns and everything. And they're kind of waiting for the plant, the, the trees to grow from the acorns. And then one night, Totoro comes over to their garden where they planted the acorns and starts doing like a kind of a ceremonial dance thing. And then the girls see him. They go join in. And then the, the acorns magically grow these giant uh, camphor trees. They supernaturally, they just grow into these giant trees that tower over their house. And the dad's kind of like, oh, they must have found Totoro again. He's not alarmed by the giant tree next to his house. Uh, he's just kind of smiling and goes back to his professor duties. The next day, there's no giant tree. But the seeds that they had planted have grown. They're like little sprouts. So it was a dream, but it wasn't. Eventually, they are supposed to hang out with their mom. They're supposed to go visit the mom. But a telegram arrives saying that to call the hospital. And this kind of puts the girls in a bit of a panic because they have to go call their dad and tell them, or they have to go call their dad to go to the hospital. So they rush over to the neighbor's house who has a phone and then they make the call. And then May's getting really upset because she doesn't know what's wrong with her mom. They don't know the, the gravity of the situation. And Satsuki's feeling a lot of pressure and she kind of snaps at May. And then they're, they kind of part ways a little bit. And then Satsuki starts to feel really sad about uh, her mom because she doesn't know. Because when her mom initially went to the hospital, they said it was a cold. And now she has another cold. So she's, you know, she's understandably upset. May, however, has decided to take it upon herself to go to the hospital. She's four years old. So she gets lost and then they can't find her. So she's running around town asking people if they've seen May. Uh, she runs into the granny. She runs into the boy Kanto. And they all try to help and find May. They find a, sh a sandal in the pond. So they, the worst thing that could happen is maybe she's drowned. And then Satsuki looks at the sandal and it's like, oh, it's not May's sandal. So they're like a little bit of relief, but they still don't know where May is and it's getting dark. So Satsuki goes into the forest where May showed her where Totoro was and Totoro is there. And she asks Totoro for help. And he's, he flies up to the top of his giant tree and calls Catbus. And Catbus, you know, you know how buses, they show the destination of, of where they're going. It just changes to May. 
And then Kappa's take Satsuki over to where Mei is. They find Mei, uh, who's carrying like a, a corn shuck. I, I think a corn shuck. Is that what you call it? Like oh, a piece yeah. Of... Well, she has just corn. Yeah. That was supposed to be for her mom. So they go over to the hospital together and they see their mom talking to their dad and the mom is fine. So they're like, oh, okay. They leave the corn there that the mother sees and the dad sees and like, oh, looks like we had visitors. Looks like it was our daughters. But they're not alarmed at how they got there. They don't see their daughters. They just they're like, oh, okay, looks like they, they came by to visit. And then they go home. And then the granny sees the kids, they all hug, and they all go home. And then the movie ends to, to the Totoro ending theme song. You see in the, uh, the credits that uh, Totoro is a character in a book that Mei is reading. It's really, it's really cute ending credits. Wait, so is, is the ending implied that it was, it was potentially fake? Or it was all a dream? Or it was like all in the book? I think it's it's all of the above. Because <laughs> to, to, Totoro, uh, in the Japanese dub, Totoro growls, right? Totoro! Totoro I think in the English dub, does he say Totoro? Yes. <gasps> Totoro? Is that what your name is? Totoro? Yep, that's your name, all right. In the English dub, they change it so that Totoro is basically a Pokemon. And he says his name, and that's why we call him that. <laughs> <laughs> but in, in Japanese, the word for troll in May's book that we don't see, except for at the, the very end, in the credits, uh, to say troll, it, it's translated to Trollu. And May's a four-year-old girl, and, you know, sometimes four-year-olds say things wrong mm -hmm. so she calls totoro totoro instead, instead of, of Tororu. Mm. yeah because she thinks totoro is a, a troll from her book which satsuki does reference when she's like totoro do you mean like from your book yeah and that's where that comes from oh so totoro is based off of like a an imperfect uh, a four-year-old's mispronunciation of a specific japanese word <laughs> yeah a, a word that is I, what do they call it? Romanji? Romaji. Romaji. Like a word that exists in a foreign language but is translated to Japanese, which is then mispronounced by a four-year-old. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay. <laughs> yeah, because uh, Totoro actually says his name, or, or like when he breathes while he's sleeping, he's like, Totoro. And she's like, Totoro? <laughs> Totoro? That's your name. <laughs> so okay all right um so let's i wanted to break down the structure of the movie and just kind of talk about it because i think the very the very beginning uh sets the tone perfectly for this film but kind of threw me off guard uh when i watched it for the first time because 
you know, I was raised on Disney films, Star Wars. So the hero's journey is like kind of embedded in me, you know, in a lot of us. The hero's journey is basically in, in a film, like in a 25 minute mark, an incident will happen. Like an incident that the main character has to respond to. They have to think about, oh, am I going to go on this journey or not? With this movie, that doesn't happen. They actually don't really make a choice. Like the characters don't make a choice to go on a journey. In fact, the very beginning of the movie, they move into this new house and it's them kind of exploring, finding the nooks and crannies of this house and kind of seeing some weird stuff and asking about it. But there's no point where like a wise old character is like, you have to go on this journey to save the planet or the kingdom. No, it's just the girls, this family shows up and they're like, hey, let's see. Let's see what this old house has to what this the secrets that this house has or let's just check all the corners and everything. And then from there, like, you know, as they're exploring, May runs into Totoro and kind of like inside the tree. That threw me off guard. I wasn't expecting that. I wasn't expecting a film to kind of just not meander. Meander kind of has a negative connotation, but it kind of just goes with the flow. Yeah. But I think it's very important because it sets the tone for the film and it kind of sets it apart from those other animated children's films. And this is more of like, instead of throwing the kids in an extraordinary situation that's better than their normal lives. This movie almost kind of makes the assertion that there's so much wonder in our world that we're not really looking at or looking for. Do you know what I mean? Yes. It's like there's beauty in in everywhere, especially in the countryside, in nature. There's a lot of mystery mysteries there, and it could be really fun to explore that. Whereas some other films are like, oh, your regular life sucks. But once you go on this quest... Hop in this wardrobe. Exactly. And <laughs> I'm, I, I'm not knocking the hero's journey. I love that. That's my that's my go-to. You know what I mean? Like, I, that's my... Yeah. That's my, my, my Sprite. That's my pepperoni <laughs> pizza. That's my bacon cheeseburger. It's my go-to. Uh-huh. But it threw me off guard. But in retrospect, it's kind of refreshing to see something that highlights the beauty of our world. And especially the countryside. And just being like, wow, like... There's a lot of beauty here and, you know, it, it's it's nice and wonderful. I made Austin go back at one point because the water, <laughs> he, he like looked away for a second and I was like, oh my God, did you see the water? And he's like, no. And I was like, oh my God, you have to see the water. And like, just like that scene where she's like collecting water and like bringing it back for like the, I think they were like, um, uh, the water, the drinking well or yeah, something. Yeah, but w- mm. it wasn't for the washing. It was for something else. But mm-hmm. it just, just like these simple, like everyday tasks that they're doing. Um, it's, it's just regular life, you know, just out in the countryside, like you said. But it's just, it doesn't have to be like everybody looking at their screens or, you know, things like that. I think that's what he's, focusing on too is like you know we don't have to like build and build and build like it's just it's a loss also of the simple things the simple you know countryside homes that are are going away i think that with miyazaki being so nature oriented too he likes to highlight these like 
gorgeous landscapes and these clean, clear water that like, you know, you're not going to see that anymore. Not yeah, we don't go to a, a, like a creek and get water to like do something. Yeah, with, no, you know? we don't <laughs> use that to, to clean ourselves or clean anything or <laughs> you would die. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just like drink straight out of the creek. <laughs> you will die. Something is there. You will die. <laughs> No, but I, I love that. It's the the reminder that what we have around us is is nice, and that we don't have to constantly build. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's funny because this movie reminded me of uh, particular parts of my childhood. That's why it was kind of nostalgic. Like it reminds me. It remi- I think it reminds a lot of people, or a lot of people have this memory of like moving into their new home, especially as a child, as a child especially, but trying to find the nooks and crannies and trying to see like what's hidden away, you know, and exploring. I think as a child, when you're moving to a new home, that sense of exploration is there. And you're like, I want to see everything. I want to, I want to go into the bushes and I want to see what's past that fence. And I want to see what's in the attic or in the basement. It's that sense of wonder. And it also reminds me of when we used to visit my family in Mexico. Right. And Mm. like, it was, it's like a, little tiny town like dirt roads uh this is in sinaloa so it's like dirt roads like super small town and i just remember like walking by the town and just wanting to go into every little alley every like abandoned building and just explore and that's a sense of wonder that i don't i honestly don't think i've sincerely had in a long time i mean I can't remember the last time I was genuinely curious as to what was around the corner. Unless it was like, well, I want to eat. What's around the corner? Let's, what's, what's <laughs> but, you know, but instead, but, but that sense of wonder of not looking for something specific, of just looking and seeing mm-hmm. if I find anything that's interesting. Yeah. My brother and I had something very similar before. Like we lived in like a, a newly, uh, like a new housing tract. And, there was it was the housing tract and then new development nothing outside of that you know and it's like oh you're like the end of the the housing tract and then there's just wilderness and it's like oh my god we would catch frogs there were rabbits and you know the streams and stuff so it's very nostalgic for us as well and yeah you you don't have that like sense of wonder or also sense of danger because you know (laughs) (laughs) you're just like running around and you're like oh cool like look at this tunnel but like (laughs) there's also like wild animals and like potentially people hanging out there um so yeah it's that sense of wonderment that you know you you lose as an adult because of you know that also that tinge of worry wariness of you know danger there's a sense of like oh i gotta be cautious now things are gonna hurt me and you know i also have to worry about money and Mm -hmm. you know all those things disappear i love that it's like the sense the awareness that a lot more more dangerous things in the world that we weren't privy to as children the sense of responsibility that i you know can't be spending all my time and money because you know i have a job and i you know i have responsibilities financial responsibilities 
it's also the sense that as I think as an adult, you're maybe looking for um, convenience, you know, convenience to to the to the things that you need. And everything's like work and and just rest. And that doesn't really leave a lot of opportunity to explore and wonder and enjoy the simple acts that you used to do as a child. You know, like you're talking about the water thing, like they kind of make a they kind of enjoy that. They're they're enjoying looking through the house and uh, looking for these soot sprites and um, yeah I don't think I've I don't think I felt like that in a long time and I think that's why I eventually came around to that I just kind of realized that that's kind of one of the biggest hooks of the movie is being in this world and seeing and kind of reminiscing a little bit and I think he wants to do that he wants to at least for older audiences I imagine he wants to bring out that piece of history. Well, so I actually found out some interesting things about this film while I was, you know, researching as well, that it's not, it's not, it wasn't actually meant to just be this film originally. Oh, we can talk about that later. We're... Well, because I was going to. Okay. Well, eh, it's fine. Yeah, we can, we'll go into that then. It gets a little dark. It's not just all light and airy. We'll save that towards the the end. We'll table, table that. Okay. Yeah. I think we're talking a lot about how light and airy and sweet it is. Yeah, exactly. Like, like, mm. hmm, this sounds yeah. a little bit like a like a macaron or something. Yeah, <laughs> like, well, very it's, sweet. It's but a, it's a nice, sweet little. Uh, it, it's it's like, man, this movie brings out so many memories. It brings out like memories of eating like these uh, this bread that I used to have as a child. It's just I, I don't. This movie made Ooh. me nostalgic, but not nostalgic in the way that like. Um, some of these other movies have me feeling like this is because a movie nowadays released, you know, like Top Gun Maverick or these reboot sequels, resequels or whatever will be nostalgic, but they'll they'll be nostalgic towards themselves. Right. Mm-hmm. Like a Batman, mo- a new Batman movie will come out and reference potentially an old Batman movie or a comic or a Batman game or something. And that's not a mm-hmm. bad thing. Uh, but it's it's referencing its own IP franchise. Even it will like reference its our own culture. Like we'll see Stranger Things and we'll see things from the eighties. Like they they have that that thing with the never ending story and Ooh, Master yeah. of Puppets mm-hmm. and stuff. And like that's that's all very specific. Yeah. What I think Miyazaki does in this movie is it goes to a very timeless and universal sense of nostalgia. Yes. Because we all we all had different backgrounds but it all made us feel nostalgic like it it, it's nostalgic for people who have siblings who who have been the older sibling or have been the younger sibling Mm -hmm. nostalgic for people growing up with single parents because for a big chunk of the movie the mom isn't there Mm -hmm. and we don't really know if she's even alive i think yeah for a while i was questioning it so i think that the the nostalgia that that miyazaki goes into isn't specific to one culture or upbringing and that speaks to the universe universal appeal of this movie and stranger Th- i like stranger things it does nostalgia pretty well because it has those references to like movies and uh culture but it does bring back memories like man me and my friends we used to hang out friday nights and we would play video games but in the characters would play dungeons and dragons but it's the same thing you know it was like getting together getting a group of friends together and all hanging out but it's it talks about a very specific culture and like a hangout vibe, whereas my neighbor Totoro kind of 
at least for me, gets to something deeper, a sense of wonder, of calmness, of relaxation, of tranquility that, man, I haven't experienced in a long time. Uh, in that first view, and I was very like, all right, what's the plot? I need the plot. I mean, you and I have talked about this Austin, but I like my plots. <laughs> um, yeah. And and this isn't a really this isn't a plot movie. If you're going in expecting that, you're gonna walk out disappointed because this is not a plot movie. This is a feely tone experience uh, with a little yeah. bit of plot, and the plot definitely kicks up towards the end. You know, I mm-hmm. I still felt like there were stakes and there was a sense of not danger but of loss. Ooh, I don't like where this is going, especially with like the preconceived notion that Miyazaki will make some films that are really sad, um, referencing other films that are really sad. So it's just like, oh, no. Oh, when's when's the when's the mother going to die? Oh, now the child is going to die. Oh, no. Yeah, it does a really good job of making you. Like. You feel like you're a part of this family. Mm -hmm. You know, they're your family. You learn so much about these characters. You feel for them. You feel like you understand, like, oh, man, Satsuki's bearing so much Mm -hmm. um, at such a young age. Like, she's she's shouldering so much. Yeah. And then, oh, God, May. Like, sometimes I think, like, oh, my God, May is four. Yeah. Like, my nephew's Mm -hmm. four. I can't even imagine my nephew going through all this. And May is just like traipsing through the wilderness by herself. Yeah. And she, like, she like learns very early to have a very brave face for when she's very scared. Like in the, the bath scene, she's like, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of the house collapsing. But like, you know that she is afraid, mm-hmm. but she has to like pretend that she's not in order to like make the fear go away which is something that i think is universal but it's also very uh tied to japanese culture Mm -hmm. absolutely and it kind of has the movie subtly references that feeling of not understanding what's happening in the adult world and it kind of confusing you and scaring you like when you're a child your parents obviously know everything that's happening around in and around you, you know, like, but you're not aware of it. You know, that's grown up talk, you know, like, okay, go away, Jorge. Like your mom and I are talking and they would, they could be talking about anything, bills, work, responsibilities, the car, the grocery store, all that stuff. Right. But you don't, mm. you really aren't aware of what they're talking about. And this movie brings up that, confusion and that that opaqueness between children and adults and i think that's where the fear in that movie the movie is aware of that and it plays into that those fears especially towards the end because we don't know what's happening to to their mother and the kids don't know and then they start dreaming up of all these different scenarios and they can't help it because they're children when our parents were talking about that, we we couldn't help but wonder what are they talking about, what uh, what are they arguing about, what what what's the thing, what who what where why, and you just start making it worse in your head, and that's what May did, and I can't blame her, I can't because even I was scared, even I was like, oh my god, like what happened? 
it definitely brought that fear back in me. As a child, you worry about your parents. You, you know, if you're a child and you, you're lucky to have both your parents, it does cause some anxiety when things aren't going as well as you'd hope or as you, you see them struggling about something and you, you wish you could help them. But there's not much you can do, unfortunately. And that lack of, you know, the, the lack of being able to help them is concerning. And uh, yeah, no, I totally felt for May. I mean, um, I also felt for her sister. Um, I'm forgetting her name. Satsuki. Both of them must have felt so powerless. And when the cat bus takes them to, to see their parents, it's like, oh, thank God, nobody died. Okay. Oh. You also kind of never really get the sense that the dad is not a good dad. And I think that the first like several hundred times I've watched the movie, I'm like, oh, he's such a good dad. You know, he takes care of them. But like as an adult, I'm watching this and I'm like, you know, he really doesn't tell them much. He, yeah, he does things for them, but it's really Satsuki who's taking care of May. Um, I know that he's working you know, at the same time. And like, he's also going to the hospital and everything, but May is running around like a little feral nymph <laughs> child in the backyard. Mm-hmm. Like he's just like, Oh, okay, sweetheart, you're doing great. Like, and she's just like off <laughs> <laughs> running around. Like Satsuki's like the mom. And she's like, how old is she? Like third grade. Yeah. She's, Ten. she's a little kid. Yeah. <laughs> she, She's packing the lunches. She made him, what, breakfast and lunch. She Mm. made sure that everyone's eating. She has to watch her little sister at school Mm -hmm. because her sister is like, I I want my big sister. Why do you think that is? Because that's that's her stand-in mom. They -hmm. both don't really know what the mom's health problems are. They're just being told, oh, she has a cold. She has a cold. She has a cold. She's sick. She's in the hospital. They, it seems like they really don't know. And I'm not saying that like you would normally tell little kids like, hey, this is what your mom has. But at least like, I feel like you would let them know more than that. Don't worry. Your father is going to stop by the hospital. The doctors say your mom just has a cold. She should be home next Saturday. This is just like last time. They said mom just had a little cold and she'd be home in a few days. Granny, what will we do if she dies? Sasuke. Maybe she's dead already. (laughs) Now don't say that, sweetheart. How could she ever leave such sweet girls like you? Oh, don't cry. Oh, don't cry. It's all right. What I like about this movie is that this movie does not present the world in a reality. You know, like, these are the friendliest neighbors I have ever seen. They are like the school allowing May to sit to sit in that classroom and all the kids are nice to May. Like that is that is utopian, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I really like I really like that, you know. And it it starts off in the very beginning when they're like driving into the town, hiding in the back. They're like, oh, it's a cop. <laughs> oh, that's not a police officer. Never mind. The town has no cops. It's the town that takes care of itself. That was like really it's a really nice thing to see. 
Yeah, the it's it's funny because talking about the neighbors being so nice, there's the kid, there's the boy, uh Kanta. Kanta's so cute because he he has like very like a very boy response to the to the girls. Like he's he's intrigued yeah. by them, but like he's, he's a, not like super nice to them. Yeah, yeah. Like he's a but boy. He's that, nice to them, but he's not like like he'll give them stuff. He'll give them gifts and help them, but he won't open himself up to like the thank yous or like oh hello you know like the regular niceties that, <laughs> that but that's such has. a that's such a little boy thing to do and that's why yeah. i love it and well what's great about it is i mean we're talking about how everyone's nice kanta who kind of uh, you know he's like sticking his tongue out and like satsuke does the same thing so it's like they have like a uh, a nice friendly relationship but like it's not it's nice and it's not nice. It's like play fighting. And I think it's really cute. Yeah. But what's great about it and what reinforces and it reinforces your idea that they're all really nice is that like um, at the very end, when they're looking for May, everyone's looking for him and for her uh, Kanta, like, like he he's biking. He's, she's trying to let her know, like we, they on found a, a sandal on a bike. That's like way too big for him too. Yeah. <laughs> it's so cute. Cause I used to ride a bike like that too. <laughs> Uh, he's like, and he's like, they found a sandal. It might not be hers though. You know, like trying to like keep her posted, but also like, it might not be your sister's. So let's hope. And you could tell that like through the credits that they still have like that friendly, not friendly kind of friendship relationship. And it's when like yeah. two sides are like opposing each other, like in a game of mm-hmm. baseball or something. I'm not too sure. What, <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure what's happening there, but it's like people, you know, even the kid who's like, not a hundred percent nice to them is still nice when it counts at the very end. Yeah. And it's cute. Yeah. It, remind, it, it reminds me. Yeah. It reminds me so much of, especially me where it's like, ill girls have cooties, cootie shots. But like, I clearly liked the girl that I was like getting a cootie shot against. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know. It's, there's something about it that was really cute. Yeah. And what also was interesting is the relationship with technology that the characters have, because it's not like, oh, technology is evil. It is going to destroy everything. There's kind of like a bit of, of harmony that the the nature spirits have with technology. Like Totoro, you know, he wants to protect himself from the rain. And then he sees this umbrella Mm. that that satsuki gives to him he's like fascinated by it and then we have cat bus i don't think i think in um japanese folklore cat bus is actually a bake neko uh which is a shape-shifting cat that's what the studio ghibli uh wikipedia said he was anyway (laughs) um and cat bus saw must have seen the bus and just like shape shifted into one because it that looks fun being a bus. I, I believe that the people of the town aren't trying to cut down the trees to build more houses. It's just kind of like, well, we're living here next to the trees and we pay respect to the trees, but we're farming our own food here. We're not building and developing more land into the trees, into the forest. Since you mentioned it, we got to talk about the, the the forest spirits because they're like one of the biggest parts of the movie and arguably one of the cutest aspects of the movie. Now look, Totoro is cute. Totoro Totoro is very cute. 
Right. I I wish Totoro was real. That way I could sleep on their belly. Yeah, kind of mm-hmm. like May does. I've always wanted that. But my favorite is the cat bus. I love the cat bus. Oh, oh yeah. The, the sound effects and and the eyes. Wow. Yeah, the, the the lights just piercing through the night and the mm-hmm. rat tanks. Uh, <laughs> that and also I've been on like on a cat binge. Like I've been following more cats on Instagram. <laughs> I've been I've been taking care of your guys' cats and I'm like I was just gonna ask, is it because of our cat? Yes, it is. It's nice. <laughs> it's funny because like, you know, Sirius is Sirius is super affectionate when he wants to, but when Hobbs finally gets affectionate, because every time I go in, Hobbs is a little like, mm, I don't know about this guy, but he'll usually like get better. And Hobbs will only eat when like I pet him. Right, it's gotten to the mm-hmm. point where like now I have to like pet him to in order to eat, and it's kind of cute. And I'm just like, I don't know why, but I'm falling in love with cats. So, and I didn't know the cat bus was a thing before watching this movie. I thought it was just Totoro, and so mm-hmm. when I saw the cat bus, I was like, Oh my god, I want one! <laughs> <laughs> it's like the cutest thing. Again, Totoro, cute, but I if I could. If I had to choose one or the other, I'd go with cat bus. Even if it wasn't like an actual bus, just a little tiny cat that looked like cat bus, I'd be fine with that. <laughs> just meow. But the rat lights, come on. <laughs> they're like their own little entities. And they look at the, the when the sign changes, they're like, wait, where are we going? Like, <laughs> oh my God, I just, I love it. Oh, it's so great. And, um. Those those forest creatures were beautiful. Were beautiful, and the design is beautiful. Like, mm-hmm. e- even if you don't like this movie, right? Because I imagine there are people that don't like it. You cannot deny that the design behind th- those creatures is gorgeous. Like the animation style, but the design of Totoro. Like you, you can't help but want to hug Totoro. And if you saw like the little mini Totoros like walking around in your lawn. You'd you'd follow them as well, and just be like, "Where are you guys going? Like, can I can I come along?" I, I don't know. There's just something about it. the big eyes, just like the very like um, expressive eyes. Yeah, like Totoro's not thinking about much. I guess <laughs> no. it's it's that kind of expression. No. But like when he when he's excited about something, you can feel it. Like the um, like he's just amazed by an umbrella. And the sound it makes, yeah, his ears. Well, like, and it goes to what you were saying—the expressions. Because when, like the, um, like when he becomes more fascinated with the umbrella, he starts like expressing a bigger and bigger smile. When he's like flying in the sky, and he's like yelling like "oh," and you could just see like that huge mouth open and all the teeth, just, just little details like that. And there's like I remember there's this moment in the movie, where like he like yells really loudly and like there's gap in between the teeth or something. Just the expressions that Totoro has are really cute. That and like taking something that most people consider to be like a nuisance in their house, like dust or soot um, and being like, Oh yeah, they're just like these little spirits that like live in your house when you're not occupying it. Cause like what else would occupy your house? And like, Oh, when you're happy and you you live there now, like they'll just leave. Like it's just so <laughs> cute. 
And, like, May tries to capture one of them and just, like, because she's, like, four, she smashes it in her hand. <laughs> it's just dust. It's cute. No, it's just dust. So cute. The the adults, they, they're like, oh, yeah, that's just one of those things. I used to see them, but now you can. Like, normally, I feel like in these movies, like, you'd expect something like Pete's Dragon or something where it's like, there's no dragon. This kid's crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, but all the adults in this movie don't deny that these creatures exist out there. Yeah. And there's an implication that they, they do exist on some level, uh, some some dimension they exist in. That at a certain point in time, a lot of these adults saw them as children, but that you lose that ability as you grow older. That was something that amazed me, too. And I couldn't help but compare that with like Western movies and just kind of like, Mom, Dad, I saw a dragon in our backyard. It's like, oh, child, like, ha ha. Too many yeah. video games. Yeah, well, those <laughs> video games. Ha ha ha. You know, what's the dragon's name? His name's Pete. It's like, oh, sure, <laughs> Pete. Pete the dragon. <laughs> but here, they, they're all cool with it. You know, even Granny's like explaining it, you know, and it's like, even the dad's like, oh, let's get, let's, uh, you know, laugh. So the soot sprites don't can go you know or um when we're scared we should laugh really really like it's they're not dismissing anything that the children are talking about which is really great it's a change of pace compared to other children's movies and it goes to kind of the father because you're right liana the dad is busy and he's working and satsuke is kind of the mother figure of the family is of or of these during the satsuki. movie Sa- how, how do you pronounce it Satsuki. Satsis? Satsuki. 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 Yeah, Yeah, there you go. Okay, Satsuki. As Satsuki being like the mother figure, uh, the dad, you know, is obviously he's staying up late, he's working, going to the university. But what I like is that he doesn't say that the children are crazy. He doesn't say that, oh, your wild imagination. Ho, ho, ho. You know, he kind of acknowledges and acknowledges it. It's just like, yeah, like, I, there was a part of me that was thinking he probably is thinking about all the times that he saw Totoro or another forest spirit and kind of the adventures he had as a child that he's now reminiscing about. And yeah, because when when they're growing the tree at night, he does give like a look that's like, okay, he sees something and he's smiling. And but like, what is he seeing? What is he thinking about? I don't know if he necessarily saw anything. I think he just heard because he, it wasn't when everything was happening necessarily. He, like, he felt the wind blowing and everything, but he, he heard, like, the flutes playing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's kind of an absent-minded dad. <laughs> he's just, like, not paying attention. And so he's just, like, happy that the kids are happy. That's mm. the thing. That's, he's just be. content that they're happy. And he's like, well, if that's what makes you happy, that's what makes you happy. But there's also like that, again, that cultural thing where it's like, well, they also believe a lot of it is like, you know, there's a lot of like shrines around, which mm-hmm. they did point out there were shrines there. Um, a lot of Japanese culture, like my my grandma was not very superstitious, but her friends were. There's a lot of superstition there. There's a lot of, um, you know, believing in like, I guess like it's like the fae, but it's like not like, you know, there's there's more of like that open mindedness about spirits and demons and like Oni and, and things like that. 
Whereas like Western culture, we're not as open about those things. I think we're, we're very much more like, um, Jesus, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> it's more in like the, what's the word is dogmatic, I yeah. guess, where it's, where I, I think in, in Totoro, at least it's kind of like, uh, oh, here's, here's what it is, but it doesn't, I don't really, I'm not going to scold you if you don't believe in it. I'm not going to tell you you're doing it wrong or, yeah. or something. It's like open. Yeah. Yeah, and it was it was really nice to see. You know, it, it, it man, it, there's just a lot of there's a lot of little things that I like about the movie that it does, and it's not because of the twists or the action set pieces or it's it's just a nice calming film that reminds me a lot of my childhood and it kind of forces me to reminisce about it more. Just like, oh man, wasn't that cool? And just appreciate like seeing parents like in a movie, just like, just kind of like, all right, you know, have fun, go on your adventures. And, you know, I'm glad to hear like, you know, the mom's amused when like, she's reading the letters from, from the kids. And it's like this, I got to see Totoro this time. And she's like, oh, those kids, you know, <laughs> God, I, I love that cat bus. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and like the the cat bus to some extent must be real because how would they get the corn there delivered? You know, it's a four four hour walk, and they didn't ride the bus. So how did it get there? That's the great thing about this movie. It's like it's <laughs> what's real and what isn't. And for as wild as it is, the you know the idea of spirits and ghosts and you know, enchanted forests, forests or something like that. It's like this movie is kind of saying like, yeah, they're real. It's, this is yeah. a real aspect. And I think it's, I think it's, it's, it's an actual belief, uh, a real life belief. Um, I think it's called animism, animism, I believe. Um, and mm -hmm. it's one of the, it's a belief that this movie explores animism, animism. I'm totally not saying the word correctly, probably, but, you know, sounding it out, uh, animism yes. yeah. is the belief that objects, places, and creatures all possess, possess a distinct spiritual essence. Potentially, animism perceives all things, animals, plants, rocks, rivers, weather systems, human handiwork, and perhaps even words as animated and alive. So I could see that very clearly because they're saying the forest creatures, um, you know, the dust when they first come in has a mind of its own, maybe somehow there's like a, that cat bus is real and it does deliver the, it helps deliver the corn. Cause how else can you explain it? I, I don't know. And you know what? I like that. I like that idea. You know, I'm, I'm not going to say that I'm a straight up animist now. <laughs> yeah. Just be like, yeah, everything has not so much, but I like the idea. Um, and I like how the movie explores that belief you've got soot sprites in your house soot sprites the black puffballs about this big and they scurry everywhere when you enter a room that's right they live in old empty houses and run all over the place covering everything with dirt i used to be able to see them when i was your age so you've seen them too that's very interesting so they're a kind of ghost then don't worry, dear. They're nothing to be afraid of. If they decide you're nice people, they won't harm you. And after a while, they'll just go away. 
I bet they're up in the rafters right now having a talk about whether or not they should move out. Um, just interesting facts that I found about the film. I am familiar with what Leanna wants to bring up, and that is definitely very interesting. There's a lot to talk about yes. around that. Um, but just some of the quick things that I wanted to mention was that uh, this movie had a very interesting release um, pattern. Because it wasn't just made and released all over the world. It's like this movie had an English dub that was only used for uh, Pacific Airlines. But then the rights to that fell through. So then Disney uh, acquired the distribution rights and did a whole redub with Dakota Fanning and Al Fanning. Uh, which is the word version that we're watching now. It was slowly released in the world. It was released in China in 2018. Twenty eight. I believe it made over half of its uh, uh, dem- or international gross box office from China, that China release. Yeah, apparent. So, uh, so the Japanese and Chinese governments maybe had some some back and forth. I'm I'm not too familiar with the details on that. But in 2018, they decided to to release Totoro, My Neighbor Totoro, in theaters, and it did really well. It was number two at the box office behind Aquaman. <laughs> <laughs> Which is such a weird thing that this movie from 1988 is competing against 2018's Aquaman. Yeah. But this movie has impacted a lot of people. This movie has is a has a huge following. And something that I was reading up is that the film has grossed over 41 million or gr- has grossed over 41 million at the worldwide box office as of September 2019. In addition to generating an estimated $277 million from home video sales and $1.142 billion from licensed merchandise sale. So if you take all of that into account, I mean, you've got yourself a Marvel movie right here. If you look at those numbers, <laughs> like people love it. They got toys. This movie had a huge home video push, which is which is the importance of home video. Home video was a huge, huge thing for for the film industry, right? Because now you could take yeah. your movies home. Totoro made over 277 million from home video alone. This, this and this movie was slowly distributed. So word of mouth got around quick. Like, oh my god, this movie Totoro is so cute. Oh, we gotta watch it. And that's how it got traction. And they're still selling. Mm-hmm. They're still widely selling the movie right now. They're selling a steelbook copies of the Blu-rays. I've got Kiki's delivery service, but I'm getting my neighbor Totoro's next. <laughs> this movie yeah. has a huge footprint in terms of, of home video release. It's a testament to how powerful a home video release can be, because that is how Liana saw this movie. Like the original release of Totoro was not it wasn't like a huge box office success it might not have even been a success in its initial run but it's because of home video because of word of mouth because disney saw the the value in studio ghibli everybody knows about princess mononoke and spirited away and totoro because totoro is the mascot for studio ghibli absolutely here's another interesting tidbit right so in total, the film's home video releases have sold 7.8 million units and grossed 277 million between Japan and the United States. 
That's not including China. And in the United Kingdom, the film studio uh, Studio Ghibli anniversary release appeared on the annual list of the top 10 best-selling foreign language films on home video for five consecutive years, ranking number seven in 2015, number six in 2016 and 2017, number one in 2018, and number two in 2019. And that movie was below Spirited Away. So Spirited Away was number one in the UK for home video sales. That's insane that these movies that were made back in the 80s and 90s are still dominating. Wow. Incredible. And Mm -hmm. these movies are still getting released in theaters at a pretty reasonable pace. I got to see Princess Mononoke in 2019 at AMC. And they had an entire marathon where it's like my my neighbor Totoro, uh, Ponyo, all of them. And people were still going. These movies have had an effect on a whole generation. Because these people also grew up, had kids, and now want to experience that with their kids, too. Oh, my God. Talk about the children. <laughs> I think this is probably one of the best movies you can show young children. Like, I think... Absolutely. It, I think, like, sure, if you have a child, you could probably show them Peppa Pig... Um, Barney, uh, you know, like the, the go-tos, like those are always going to be blues clues. You know, those are always rock solid, but man, my neighbor Totoro would be a perfect film for young children, right? They get, they, you know, it's a fun experience. They could relate to it, but it also brings in just some dramatic half for children to be like, oh my God, what's going to happen next? Which is part of, which is a part of great dramatic storytelling, right? Mm-hmm. It's a great way to introduce them to filmmaking um to animation and to general storytelling i was like oh this is uh, if i ever have children i want them to see this movie i want to watch it with them i think that would be great yeah um and i i mean it goes to say that totra is one of the biggest mascot animated at mascots of all time like rivaling winnie the pooh in the uk the Independent recognized Totoro as one of the greatest cartoon characters, describing the creature at once innocent and awe-inspiring. King Totoro captures the innocence of magic and magic of childhood more than any of Miyazaki's other magical creations. I think it deserves it. You know, look, I love the cat bus. I want the cat bus, but <laughs> Totoro is cute. He's the mascot. He's the ma- <laughs> he's the mascot for a reason, but I, I'll take the cat bus any day because I, I love him. <laughs> so... Totoro actually was, it was released as a double feature. It was intended to be released actually with Grave of the Fireflies, not by itself, Um, back to back. So it was supposed to be played originally um, with, I believe it was, so yeah, it was Totoro first, and then it was supposed to be, Isao Takahata's film afterwards, which is The Grave of the Fireflies. I listened to a YouTube video by Adam Dobay. He runs a site called Follow the Moon Rabbit. Beautifully done site. He has a bunch of stuff on Studio Ghibli. Bunch of stuff just kind of like clears up. There's a lot of stuff online. A lot of people have like their own theories on like, oh, this is this is this. This means that. Um, he actually spent a lot of time 
in the film industry. He works in the film industry currently. He worked on The Wind Rises um, on the Hungarian translation. Um, he spent a lot of time actually learning about the storytelling in Japanese animation. And it's just his passion. It seems like it's definitely his his passion to, you know, look more deeply into um, storytelling in general. Um, and like I said, he, he kind of clears up some of the, like, rumory stuff. Because I know that there's, like, a lot of stuff online that's, like, Totoro is, like, the death thing or whatever. <laughs> it's, like, these horrifying images of, like, Totoro with his <laughs> face melting. About? If you look up anything online Totoro related, there's always going to be like, like fan, fan theories. Fan theories, yeah. Okay, yeah. Because so, I think that like fan theories have a place, but sometimes it's like, okay, you're trying to make this thing work, yeah. But clearly, it's not about that, yeah. <laughs> and you're taking like a beloved image and you're like distorting it, and like it's a kids movie. Like, I'm sorry, but like, chill. <laughs> I understand that, like, it is connected to a very, very, it's it's a dark movie, but it's it's a very like, it's a very meaningful movie. It's it's a movie I have yet to watch. Actually, um, you're talking about Grave of the Fireflies. Yes, Grave of the Fireflies, and there's there's a reason for that. It's also connected to my grandmother. Um, it's a hard one for me. She had asked me to watch it before because. According to my grandmother, Grave of the Fireflies is very, very, this is in her words. Um, she had told me that it's, sorry, <laughs> this is an emotional topic for me. Mm -hmm. um, she had said that Grave of the Fireflies is pretty much what she went through in the war. It describes it very, very closely. It, um... It meant a lot to her to watch that. And um, my grandma was present during the bombings of Hiroshima. And so she had gone through all of that. She had lost her friend. She, the only reason she had survived the bombings was because she happened to forget something and she had gone back. She, they were out picking strawberries. She was a high school student. And her friend went on the train and she forgot something and she went back and didn't get on the train with her friend. And her friend died. And she, it, it was just, a, I'm, I'm not going to get into details because it's really, it's really dark and really um, traumatic. It's, it's nationwide trauma. There's still a lot of people that refuse to go back. There's still a lot of people that won't go to parts of Japan. There's still a lot of people that, um, you know, refuse to talk about it. I'm lucky enough that my grandma felt that she wanted me to hear um, about it. And so I haven't been able to watch Grave of the Fireflies. My my grandma actually passed pretty recently. And I, I, I know that it's time, um, but it's something that I'm still struggling with. I will eventually watch it, but it's something that is going to take getting over some some stuff for me. So I'm not a huge um, expert on that movie in particular, but I know that they were supposed to be released together. And after having researched this, 
I myself am starting to realize maybe there's like a little bit about this movie that I didn't even realize. I I saw the movie Totoro as as this one significant part of my childhood. And I wonder now, like I said, if my grandma had seen it differently and maybe that's why she had chosen this movie specifically to show me. Um, The movie itself, Totoro, is a fantasy because of how the landscape looks, not because of Totoro himself. The fantasy is that Japan didn't look like that and the lifestyle wasn't that way because it was after the war and things weren't that way um, for a lot of people. A lot of people, it looked more like the Grave of the Fireflies. Which, uh, real quick, just to... Uh, have yeah, we yeah, just, yeah, absolutely. Have we, have we talked about Graves of the Fireflies, like kind of the premise of that movie? I don't think we have. Okay. Grave of the Fireflies is a 1988 Japanese animated war tragedy film. It's directed by Isao Isao Takahara. And it's about two children, a brother and a sister, kind of in the aftermath of or during World War II and during huge amounts of destruction. And here it says from the Wikipedia, set in the city of Kobe, Japan in June 1945, it tells the story of two siblings and war orphans, Seita and Setsuko. And their desperate st- struggle to survive during the final months of the Second World War. Really tough subject. And I mean, I've heard from multiple people. That it is a brutal movie. That there's a lot of beauty in it. That there's still like a lot of uh, beautiful imagery. Beautiful sentiments. Especially between the two. Between the brother and the sister. But it is very difficult to watch. And um, I, I was... I was researching a little bit and I saw some parts of the movie and I was just like, I, I, I don't know if I could watch this. And I have, I have no connection to, to Japan whatsoever, not blood wise, not, you, you know, like I, <laughs> it's, it's a world that's so distant from me. And even just thinking about it and watching it, it's just like, wow, this is really hard to watch and well, even talk about. It definitely shows the, Aftermath. It, it shows more of the juxtaposition of both of Miyazaki's point of view and Takahata's point of view. Mm-hmm. Because Takahata was 10, Miyazaki was 4. So it's funny because it's, it's almost like in Totoro where, you know, you have... Mei and Satsuki before yeah. 10. Really interesting. And so Miyazaki was a little bit more lucky in the sense that he had not had that same experience as Takahata. Takahata had more of the Grave of the Fireflies, um, like, I guess, experience of the war, whereas um, Miyazaki had more of the Totoro uh, experience where he was a little bit more, um, I guess, uh, what is the word I'm trying to think of? privileged Mm -hmm. he had a little bit more resources he was i guess more not rich but like you know better off whereas takahata had to deal with like you know siblings um passing away things like that um it gets a little bit dark um not gonna get too far into that and like i said earlier where i was talking about the dad in totoro 
Japan is definitely a mother-based culture where, you know, the mom takes care of the kids. And both movies have strong loss of mother taking care of the kid trauma. Um, And, you know, them dealing with that, like the kids having to deal with that and like both of the kids um, dealing with having to be almost like adults quicker than they should have been um, dealing with that transition of like, okay, I'm a kid, but like, I also have to like kind of be an adult uh, more so obviously in Grave of the Fireflies. There was also something else really interesting. And I think this is the part <laughs> I kind of lost it a little bit um, when we were watching that video and I just started <laughs> crying a lot. Um, in a hundred animated feature films, uh, Andrew Osmond made the connection um, a possible connection that potentially Miyazaki's imagery with that tree that Austin was talking about how they were doing the dance and the, the trees were growing, like the little seeds were growing into this like ginormous tree very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. And it was sprouting into the sky. Um, it almost looked like a mushroom cloud. Whoa. And so in one you have Totoro, the mushroom cloud imagery looking like, um, you know, more of like a growth thing. Whereas in, you know, Grave of the Fireflies, you have a mushroom. I'm not sure if there's a mushroom cloud in that one. Again, I haven't seen it. But, you know, there is that, you know, the mushroom cloud. It does happen. There's a bombing in Hiroshima, Nagasaki. Um and it's more of a destruction thing, mm-hmm. um, you know, so that you have that two opposites where both of the films are together and yet they both show two very different sides of something. Um, wow. So. I didn't even think about that. But you're, I didn't yeah, either. Like it's, it's, you can't, like, if I just, if we just say that, right? Like, if you go back and watch that scene again, you can't unsee it. Like, I've, I've watched it several times over. I'm like, they really did that. Like, they really made this this tree this like really sweet scene but it's like that is definitely a mushroom cloud yeah. and like what are what do you think you're supposed to get out of that i'm hoping that you know most people will see that there there is growth and there is beauty after such horrid destruction you know and i'm hoping that both of these you know these films that are loved across Every culture, every, you know, everyone loves these films. Like, I, I, I don't, you know, it's spread, like you were talking about, it's been you know, released everywhere, you mm-hmm. know? And I think that was also his goal, was get it released everywhere. Hopefully that was his goal. But these films show that war, it it's not, it doesn't show, like, I think a lot of American movies, we, we show, like, war with, like, the, the people that are in the war, mm-hmm. the soldiers, you know, but this shows the people that were affected. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, the kids. And you don't see it so much in Totoro, but in Grave of the Fireflies, you do. And in Totoro, it shows what could have been mm-hmm. a life that should have been, you know, this beautiful countryside that isn't there. Um, and like a town that like helps each other. 
Exactly. Ooh, and in Grave yeah. of the Fireflies, um, from my research, what I was reading about, um, oh, those kids weren't helped by anyone. Yeah. I think I read they a description were, of someone yeah. beating one of the kids, um, or just the children being beaten by yeah. different uh, different adults. Because uh, some of them were selfish. They wanted to keep food for themselves. Yep. Um, like, yeah. now, I'm see- now I'm seeing it. I'm just like, oh. Yeah. And they, they were left to, to fend for themselves. And um, I, I had read that um, it was a, it was Takahata's apology letter to his own sibling who had passed away. Mm. Man. So it gets, like I said, it gets really deep. Mm-hmm. If you want to research more into this yourself, I would definitely recommend it because I think that it it gets you a different perspective on something that is currently even going on right now. Watch it with that understanding, you know. And look, it, it does get heavy, but this stuff does happen. And if you just choose to ignore it, you're not really helping yourself or anybody outside of that. And I, it's just it's just widening widening your gaze, right? And yeah, sure, mm-hmm. we're talking about an animated children's movie, right? And it was all cheery and fun early on, and I think yeah. we had a great discussion. But mm-hmm. I mean, that's why we do this podcast. We 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 okay. What can we get on a surface level viewing of this movie? It has beautiful animation. Uh, it has beautiful animation. It's cute. What do we get a level below that? How we personally are attached to this film, right? With Leanna have, using this movie as a, as a conversation piece between you and your mother, linguistically and culturally, with me kind of that sense Grandmother. Of, huh? Or, sorry, grandmother. Grandmother, grandmother yeah. <laughs> linguistically and culturally with your grandmother. Uh, me with like kind of how I used to behave and that sense mm-hmm. of wonder that I don't really have anymore. Just it just as the person I'm becoming and kind of uh, growing into adulthood, um, but then also a level below that. Okay, what does this movie mean culturally? And and that's and we we can't ignore that because this movie was built as it was this movie and Grave of the Fireflies. That is a weird decision from the outside. If you look in, this movie's cute. Yeah. It's adorable. Why would you put it with something that's dealing with World War Two with the death? Of a lot of people mm-hmm. and focusing on two children. Why? Yeah. Why even put those back to back? This are you trying to clearly torture me? And that's 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 why you gotta think about this stuff and, and kind of expose yourself to it and think what is the artistic interpretation of this? And I mean, the way you brought it up, Leanna, with like how the adults weren't helping the children in Grave of the Fireflies, but how in this movie, everyone is nice together. It's almost like in Austin, you said the word. It's like a utopia. You know, it's like a what could have been or what could be. But Grave of the Fireflies kind of shows what was. And I mean, it, I, Jesus Christ, just hearing about it. It's like what happened to your yeah. grandmother? What happened to the director of it? Uh you know, yeah. it's a it's a tough reality. And having you guys explain it that way, I'm like, in a weird way, yeah, my neighbor Totoro and Grand of the Fireflies share a really strong connection with each other that at first I was like, what on earth are mm-hmm. you guys trying to do? 
And it what I what also I think the the way that the 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 trees grow it directly confronts the mushroom cloud. It it doesn't like present this fantasy world where nothing bad ever happened. You know, like nothing bad really happens in the movie, but historically, you know, the audience watching maybe having just seen Grave of the Fireflies or knowing that that's on the bill does have that in mind. Like those mushroom clouds are permanently a part of of everyone's imagery. Like we, yeah. we all know what that means. In a sense, it's almost part of the literal soil of Japan. Like it's in right. the actual ground. Um, so it per- it presents this like utopian fantastical setting, but it doesn't do that by erasing the past. Man, I I don't know why, but I just I I just never saw it that way. It, but it, it, it but, but talking about how this movie was released with Grave of the Firefly, I was like, oh yeah, it's it's coming I, I I see the purpose behind it. It's almost like this, uh, on a basic reading, it's almost like somehow the hope of being able to overcome some of these traumatic events and being able to make, to, 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 to bond people closer from those incidents. And maybe people during the time of war were mean and selfish and uncaring, but after it can make us stronger. It can make everyone feel more like a community. Like when May disappears and you have granny there. Oh my God, granny, you know, granny, Mm -hmm. older woman, you know, and if we're kind of breaking it down, you know, like chronologically, I'm in in my head. I'm just talking about. Yeah. She's lived through the war. Yes. And you know, and like when she's like Sasuke, like she's like seeing her, it's like Satsuki, Satsuki, sorry, Satsuki, (laughs) Satsuki. And just like, is it her sandal just kind of like caring for her? And and again, Granny is not actually her grandma. Like she's just a neighbor. But feeling right. that level of responsibility, like I we're here for you. We're all looking for May. And I just want you girls to be safe. Yeah. And-, and I think like for a little bit, I was wondering, like, oh, well, then whose sandal was that? But like, I feel like if there was a girl missing in the town, they would look for her. Yes. Just like they look for May. Yeah, uh, absolutely. There's no doubt that if something were to happen in that in that town, everybody would know about it, you know, and they would act the exact same way. And it's like, mm-hmm. oh, man, it's uh, it's almost like the 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 tree growing in the mushroom pattern, right? Like you can't get yeah. rid of your past, but we could create a better future. And yeah, we. It, it, you know, it's never going to leave, but that's part of it. We can make something beautiful from it if we, you know, embrace each other, embrace the forest, the forest spirits. And maybe someone could intellectualize it a little bit better, but that's no, kind of... Yeah, I think you did a good job. I, 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 think... I, I just, that's my, that's my five-year-old brain just being like, it has a positive ending. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like, I think Leanna said that they booked... Totoro first, but I feel like I would feel better as an audience leaving with Totoro second. Yeah. I'm trying to make sure that I'm correct. Well, I think they said that Studio Ghibli said that you could put them in whatever order you'd like. That they let theater distributors figure that out on themselves. So it wasn't like, this movie has to come before this one. It's like, play with the order, but these two movies have to play back to back. It always showed like Totoro first and then Grave of the Fireflies, I think because they were worried that people would be horrified at the Grave of the Fireflies Ooh, that movie. Is a good point. 
Um, and then also, like, if you had kids, you could, like, leave when Totoro was done. So you, mm. <laughs> like, have <Yeah>. to watch. <laughs> but is- it's, like, there's a lot of, like, scenes that someone had pointed out that, like, a lot of scenes look exactly the same in multiple points of the m- movies. Like, the umbrella scene with May and Satsuki. There's a scene with the the two kids and the other and Grave of the Firefly yeah. where the the boy is carrying his sister and they have a dis- like half destroyed umbrella as well and you Ooh. know there's they had so many different scenes like that where it's just like very very similar scenes so it's like these movies are definitely obviously connected they're they're, they, they they're paralleling each other. Mm-hmm. Yes. Or th- they were even made at the same time. Like this was the intent once the movies got greenlit. Yeah. Well, they both um, Isao and Miyazaki um, fed off of each other. They were kind of I would say they like each other each other's muses. They <laughs> they were both um, they had different ways of expressing themselves. It seemed, but they they definitely fed off of each other's like creativity. Yeah. Um. Okay, there's some there's a little bit of stuff that I want to, to talk about that uh, I'm not sure how it will fit in, but this is just like some a little bit of background information about Studio Ghibli. Uh, Studio Ghibli's first film was actually Castle in the Sky. Now, a lot of people include Nausicaa and the Valley of the Wind in on this, but that was actually made before Studio Ghibli was was uh, created. And I bring I bring up I want to bring up Nausicaa because when when they translated all these Studio Ghibli movies into English, Miyazaki was very protective about it. He didn't want them to change anything, like no no edits whatsoever. <laughs> because when they translated Nausicaa in the Valley of the Wind, they cut out over twenty minutes of that movie. They Weinstein it. They Weinstein it. <laughs> um, but it was actually a different different company that that was responsible for the oh, translation. No, no. It, it's just it's Weinstein because that's he was notorious for that. Well, he's gonna he's gonna make an appearance in this. Oh, really? Yes, yes. Oh, uh, nice. so the poster for Nausicaa, the the English dub, featured characters that didn't exist in the movie at all. They're all male characters that didn't they weren't in the movie at all, and they cut out. Like this huge plot twist in the movie that the the toxic jungle in the movie was actually trying to repair the world. Like all of that was cut out of the movie. So you're missing a lot of stuff. And Miyazaki was like, okay, never again. <laughs> but, you know, he wants his movies, every, every filmmaker, I, I think, wants their movies to reach as much of an audience as they can without compromising their vision. Absolutely. You know? Miyazaki cares a lot about the environment and you know how his films look and how his films feel. So when he started, you know, making deals with Disney to distribute his movies to an even greater audience, um, okay. So first of all, none of the Studio Ghibli movies broke even until Kiki's Delivery Service in '89. So Totoro. Grave of the Fireflies, Castle in the Sky were all sold at a loss. Basically, they're all made on a loss, and then they made up they made up their money in in a home video distribution and everything. Um, but Kiki's Delivery Service started making money, 
So when they did Mononoke, that was the highest grossing movie in Japan until Titanic later on in 1997. So Disney wanted to distribute the movies. Miyazaki met with them and they had Miramax uh, distribute Princess Mononoke. And Weinstein, Harvey Weinstein, very bad man in real life, um, he wanted to cut Mononoke to make it appeal to an American audience. And uh, Miyazaki said no. And his producer, his producer sent a sword to, to Weinstein with the, with the note that said no cuts. <laughs> if I wasn't in love before, I am now. Um, it wasn't Miyazaki that sent the sword. It was the producer. Doesn't matter. Doesn't the matter. Whole studio. Everyone. Oh that my is, god. That is incredible. <laughs> Who is... sent this sword? <laughs> and they they did distribute it. They did distribute Mononoke. It didn't make a lot of money in its theatrical release, but home video made a lot of money. Spirited Away, 2001, John Lasseter convinced Disney to acquire the North American distribution rights, and Spirited Away ended up winning Best Picture, or Best Animated Picture at the Oscars. So I I feel like this is the reason why Mononoke and Spirited Away were the first two movies that I saw from Miyazaki, because they were huge successes in the States. Mm -hmm. And... When they got the rights to, to Totoro in 2005, they re-released it in 2006 with the Dakota Fanning L. Fanning dub. Man, that's wild. That is so cool. It was an, in an interview with, e, with Roger Ebert in 1999 where he mm. talks about uh, his, him standing up to, to Harvey Weinstein. And he's like, yeah, I defeated him, I think is yeah, the he's, quote. He's an icky man. <laughs> so I wanted to ask, or when, before we recorded this part of the episode, I wanted to figure out why Totoro was so popular. And I think that we've covered everything that I wanted to talk about, how it was released multiple times um, mm-hmm. across the States and China, uh, how well it did in home video, how much money the merchandise of Totoro made. Um, but also I kind of brought up the universal appeal of the film, regardless of your culture or anything, there is something that you can that resonates in this film. Mm-hmm. Um, and it being tied to Grave of the Fireflies and the significance that the war had on the on the generation that survived it, wanting to pass down a positive message to their uh, future generations. And I kind of wanted to talk about the legacy of Totoro. Okay, so Totoro was actually. Like the place that the film take, the place where the film takes place is a real is a real place. <laughs> I've said place three times in that sentence. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's a real place. It's called the Sayo the Sayama Hills in the Saitama Prefecture. And after the film was released, after it was successful, Miyazaki actually bought uh, a section of the forest to preserve. So there's a this movie. <laughs> I'm gonna cry. Sorry. Yeah. So he used the money that this film made okay. to preserve part of the real life forest that inspired the movie. You can actually go there today. You can um, see a bunch of like little Totoro uh, stuff there. Um, 
There used to be a coffee shop there, but it has since closed. Across the country, there there are actually like people have like you know people see Jesus in toast and stuff. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm sorry. You know. Do you know about that? Do you know people will like see images of Christ and then like take pictures of it? I wasn't, but now I do. Okay, that that is a thing. That's a thing. And people have taken notice of certain trees that look like Totoro. Totoro's head, basically. There's there's pictures of it if you go to the, the Studio Ghibli uh, website. Like, and the, the tree looks like Totoro. Right? Like, <laughs> I thought that they had like shaped it like in like botanical gardens, you know, like they bind trees to make them make a certain shape. Mm-hmm. Apparently this tree just looks like that. Oh, it's just, <laughs> it just looks like that. It just looks like that. He's um, like, hey, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> There's a, a Totoro, Totoro bus stops where you have Mei and uh, Satsuki like waiting there. There's an abandoned bus that some farmers had like got together and like painted the cat bus over it. Oh, um, there's actually a Studio Ghibli theme park in Japan where you can go inside Cat Bus. <gasps> yeah, maybe if a future future hurry. I don't want <laughs> somewhere where we can all go one day, maybe. <laughs> Um, there's houses that were, have been like built to look like the house that the, the family yeah. lives in. I was gonna um, say I saw a picture of the actual house built. I wasn't sure where it was, but it looked really authentic. I was like, "Wow, that's beautiful!" Yeah, there's a stage adaptation of My Neighbor Totoro. Also, a a mini sequel to My Neighbor Totoro called May and the Kitten Bus that was released exclusively to the the uh, Studio Ghibli Museum. Released no in way. 2002. Yeah. What so happened? Like a thir- I have no idea. 13 minutes. Maybe we'll, maybe one day we'll we'll be able to like watch it and give like a little thing about it. Yes. I, I didn't Sorry. know about it. <laughs> that is so I'm cool. Crying over here. <laughs> See, this oh. movie has a huge impact, and so many people love it and want to experience it and share it with each other. Did you know that Totoro was even in Toy Story three? No way. He's he's there. What, as like an actual like moving toy or is it? Yeah. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Oh, <laughs> no way. You just way. never noticed it because you didn't know mm-hmm. what he was before. You're just like, oh, that's that thing that I don't know. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, he's standing next to the unicorn. Yeah. Whoa, wow. I never noticed. Totoro's had a very interesting um I don't I don't know if the career is the right, right word because he's not real. <laughs> you <laughs> but, can call it a career. But like Let's he, call it a career. Originally Miyazaki wanted to put him in a children's book, but like they said no. So he's like, ah, oh, okay. Uh maybe a movie, maybe a TV show. And they said no. So then they were like, okay, a movie. What is this movie about? I don't know. A little girl and an imaginary creature. The movie's going to be 90 minutes now. Ah, I got to make two girls now. <laughs> and then that's why in the poster for My Neighbor Totoro. There's only the one girl. There's only there's the a- one girl. Mm. She, and she's wearing Satsuki's clothes, but she's about May's age. 
And for some reason, they just never, like, updated it. They just, like, left it. So, I don't, it's so weird, right? Like, I feel like you would, you would, like, okay, well, this isn't irrelevant anymore. This girl doesn't exist in the movie. But it's just, she does in the poster. (laughs) Plus, Um, I I think that was a pretty good choice. Because not only, now you have the sisters bonding together and you have a bit more interplay between them like they're like they're back and forth i mean it ultimately leads to the the climax of the film with may disappearing you get more banter between them that's really i like that you know and yeah and going back to what we were saying about graves of the fireflies like it parallels that story a lot more you know you have one Mm -hmm. older sibling uh uh taking care of their younger one it works out beautifully right right i i i think this is a great movie i love this movie I'm glad Leanna um, chose this one uh, for us to cover. Mm-hmm. And with that, we will transition to the end of our episode with naming our favorite, our, our quotes of the movie. Now, in lieu of a five-star system, we like to describe how you felt about the movie in a quote from the movie. Uh, it could be our favorite quote. It could be the funniest quote. It could be a quote that represents the conversation we just had. The rules are a little loose, but like it's like a quote, but sometimes, you know, we even break that rule. (laughs) We pick more than one quote. And when we have a guest, we usually give the option to go first to the guest, just in case we have the same quote. But if we have the same quote, it's fine. Hmm. I wrote three down. <laughs> I had a hard time with this one because there's so many good yeah. quotes. In this. Say all three of them. No, 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 no. Because it's I'm probably going to infringe on you guys. There was one that actually made me cry this time around that I don't think has ever made me cry before. And I kind of have to set up for it. Oh, we always do. Okay. <laughs> because... It's, it was a, the moment when Satsuki, she's talking about, like, it was after the, the fight with May, and, you know, she's she's still kind of, like, holding on to that little bit of, like, strength that she has left, but then she's, she was talking to Granny, and, you know, she's asking, like, what if Mom dies? And she just burst into tears and I burst into tears and I've never like cried that hard at that part and it hit me really hard and she goes uh granny goes she said now don't say that sweetheart how could she ever leave such sweet girls like you and then she's like oh don't cry and she's like bawling and she is like tears coming out of her eyes and she's got snot coming out of her nose (laughs) and like Granny's just like trying to like console her because she just said this the most awful thing. She's like essentially talking about mom dying. She's like, what if she dies? And that's the first time that I think that they really like address mom dying, mm-hmm. you know, because th- before they were just like, oh, she's just sick. She's just sick. She's just sick. And then she's like, what if she dies? And oh, man, I <laughs> was bawling. <laughs> and so... Although these quotes are usually the ones I would go with and they're usually the ones that people quote, this one hit me really hard this time. So I will stick with that one. 
That's a great. That's a good quote. That's a good quote, and it's a beautiful scene too. And man, I love how you highlighted that. We didn't even talk about it during this during the movie, but or during the summary, but during the movie, yeah, she's just sick. You know, at first you, they don't even address her, but it's like, yeah, she's sick and she's in the hospital, and you're not, you don't really know what's up. And at that point, you're like, oh my god, like, what if she's dead? And just even throwing that word in just kind of changes the tone and changes the kid's response. It, it, they don't even say that she's dead. It's just like she has to stay in the hospital longer. But the inference yeah. of death is there. And you're just like, the kids start breaking yeah. down. You start getting, you as a viewer start getting worried. It's, it's a tough, it's a tough scene to, to, to kind of watch, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Austin, did you want to go with the quote? Okay. So my quote comes from, uh, the moment after they, they grow the big tree, right? And they're like, they see that the, the tree isn't there. So they're like, they say, it was a dream, but it wasn't. Um, and I think like that is kind of what the movie is, right? Like it presents this like fantastical uh, utopian reality. But, you know, it doesn't, things don't have to be the way they are now, you know? I feel like the world in Totoro is pretty possible if we build good communities and and uh, nurture them. Mm-hmm. So that that is my quote. Well, I will be going last, and the reason I will be going last is because I do have three quotes. Oh, <laughs> oh, three my quotes. Yeah. Well, one quote is just kind of funny because I always got to throw a funny one in. Another quote is a point in the movie that really got to me, and it just kind of I wasn't expecting how hard it was going to hit. And there's a third quote that I think is a good piece of advice for people. So one of the quotes that I just thought was funny is Kanta is such a dirty kid; he can always use a good drenching. That's, that's exactly when it's raining and he gave them he gave the girls his umbrella and it's like uh yeah i'm kind of like kanta like you know he's just <laughs> such a dirty kid it's i don't know there's just something about him that i was like yeah that was me he was kind of an idiot but it's it's a, <laughs> trying to stay away from cursing and it's like oh he's kind of a dummy but it's okay he's he's a nice one you know then there is a scene uh when may has disappeared right and and uh Satsuki, Satsuki, right? Mm-hmm. Is is telling Totoro, Totoro, I beg you, please protect May. She'll be lost and probably scared. Please believe me, I'll be good for the rest of my life. I can just see her again. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll is I think that was a moment where I really just started feeling the impact of that story beat of May disappearing, and with the mom, it, the 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 mother's future being uncertain and i just wasn't expecting and kind of when you're watching the beginning of the movie you're like okay so we're not doing the hero's journey we're not doing this um this this quest or so so i was like i mean i'm joining what i'm liking but there's still that was that curiosity of okay what's the what's the thing that's gonna hit hard what's how's the movie gonna end and when we kind of went on this i was like oh like this is I think after a certain point as a child, you just kind of have to, um, you realize that death is a thing, right? Yeah. And you're not really sure when you first learned about it or how you became aware of it. But it, it that scene gave me some anxiety and took me back to those early concerns that I had of the parents, of your parents maybe not being totally okay and the future being uncertain and you not really being able or capable to 
have an influence on it, you know? And it was, man, it's weird how, how much this hit on so many childhood levels, you know, Mm -hmm. um, that I wasn't even really aware of, or I wasn't totally acknowledging up until now. It's very weird. I wasn't expecting that from this movie. I was expecting a quest, a battle, a love, a romance. And instead I got something that made me ponder like my own childhood. Which mm-hmm. is weird. <laughs> I was not expecting that. It's a good. It's good. Weird. It's good. Weird. Uh, that that reminds me. There was an original idea to have the Totoro movie be about a bunch of Totoros that were at war with humans and only a few survived. Oh really? wow! Yeah, isn't that isn't that crazy? <laughs> I don't. Like I'm that. glad they they did not do that one because I don't want to yeah. see Totoros fighting. <laughs> They're too cute. Yeah. Um, and the last one is um, it comes from the father. And I think this is a good piece of advice. It's when uh, there's a storm while they're taking a shower. <laughs> and which actually I forgot to bring up, but I'll, I'll mention that real quick. But, I uh, bet you it's the quote I wrote down. Let's see. <laughs> it's uh, try laughing. Then whatever scares you will go away. Yeah. <laughs> and I like that. I just think that's a good, it's a good piece of advice. You know, when things get scary or when things get a little worrisome sometimes it's best to smile and laugh it could be really difficult but um it might just be enough for your mood to change and um yeah i like that a lot now i will say going back to that scene there's something it's funny because we usually do this for our other films we talk about things that have not aged well and i think I would say 99.9% of this movie has aged very well uh, from the, from the technical aspects to the story elements to how it relates to Japan's history and to what it can affect us, the viewer. <laughs> mm-hmm. But there's one thing that hasn't aged when I was like, oh, you didn't have to do that. The, the, like, so I, the, they're all taking a shower and they're taking like a family shower. And there's like a shot from like an overhead angle where it's like the dad spread eagle kind of. Oh, and I was like, it's, like, it's a weird thing. But I, I think that like the, the bathing thing that's normal is, is oh, no. like cultural. Oh no. The, the bathing thing is the bathing thing is that's not the problem that I have with it. It's just the shot. It's like, you didn't have to angle it from that. Ang- you know, I was just like, Oh yeah. That, that angle was off. It was weird. And it, again, it didn't, I think they were just, they're trying to just show like how comfortable they are because it's it's like a normal like everyday thing. They just you it's, take a bath and then you yeah, just get it. You get in quickly because it's cold. It's not like a, but it's not like um, understood internationally yeah. as eas- as easily because we have different things. Like the bathing in the West is not like a, it is in Japan. A dirty bath. <laughs> <laughs> Like well, this is fine. It's a it's like a private thing, you know. But in yeah. in Japan, it's like a, a social thing. Like you yeah. you talk to people when you take a bath, and you take baths together. Yeah. Which like is funny because as a as a, like as an adult, I like showering by myself. I'm like, let this be a solo act. Um, <laughs> let it be solo. <laughs> but uh, my thinking no, but, time. But I, I remember, uh, I remember uh, bath- when I was a super young, super super young, bathing, bathing with my dad. Um, and that it that the act mm-hmm. doesn't doesn't bother me as much. It's the shot that bothers you. Yeah, because then the, you have to like, okay, how do we cover up all the privates? Yeah, and I was like, man, you didn't have to set it up this way. Like, if you had 
I don't know. I was like, I ain't crazy about this shot, but I do. But I think you are right, Leanna. Like it is a sense. It is uh, supposed to give a sense of like the comfort and ease that this family has between each other. And it's, um, yeah. And again, it has one of my, it has one of my favorite quotes too. It's, it's a wonderful movie. It's great all around. I, again, I can't say it enough. I recommend it. Yeah. Well, I can't let you completely steal the show because it's my movie. Um, I'm going to end it with a quote. Since <gasps> you got three. Yeah, 100%. Go for it. Since this is a movie very nature-centric, um, one of the most popular quotes, but one of the, my favorites and a very good one. Um, when they're looking at the tree, the giant, giant tree, um, when they're going to thank Totoro. Uh, the spirit uh, that may seize and uh, pay their respects. The dad mentions something. He looks at the tree and he says, Magnificent tree. It's been around since long ago, back in the time when people and trees used to be friends. Mm. And that is both, it's a very bittersweet mm-hmm. quote. And I'll just end it there. That was a good quote. Okay, so that concludes our episode of My Neighbor Totoro. We are on social media if you'd like to get updates uh, from us. We are on Instagram at retrograde underscore pod. Uh, on Twitter and, and TikTok at retrograde underscore pod. We just launched our Patreon. We have our first episode going to be up there uh, on Avatar 2. Or Avatar The Way of Water, mm-hmm. a.k.a. Avatar 2. Um, we have three different tiers. The, um, most economic tier will get you this episode. Uh, for $2, you're a popcorn pal. And for $5, you are a premium popcorn pal. And you'll get our, that episode and another one where we talk about, uh, like, what's going on in movies or what's this month in movies. But we will be talking about adaptations one that is very well received, The Last of Us, and one that people are loving to dump on, and that is Velma. Um, we'll be talking about those, and uh, for $15, we can't really offer you anything other than giving you maybe a title of being an executive producer of Retrograde Podcasts mm-hmm. for $15. It's just a here's $15 to, to keep doing your, your thing. Yeah, it's um, the mom and dad tier <laughs> yeah because probably the only people we expect to be there are our moms and dads <laughs> you get to be like i'm an executive producer so. you, yeah you do get the the title which means not very much but it you know if you want to give us 15 dollars, we will not say no <laughs> absolutely not but um, these episodes these retro reviews will still be going up on all the other platforms you don't have to pay for them so if you're happy and comfortable where you're at with us right now don't even worry about it we hope you enjoy these episodes yeah you if you want to support us you can support us by listening to the show telling other people hey you should listen to these guys or like sharing our little videos that we post on socials you know there's a lot of ways to support us and if you have the means to support us with money you can now um and then in two weeks i believe we will be talking about shrek Right? I believe so. I we are going to have another guest for that one, but so awesome. I got to I got to confirm. 
I gotta confirm with her, but I do believe we're gonna have another guest. Man, we've been we've been doing guest after guest after guest, and I'll say mm-hmm. so far two for two, two, two for, for two. two. You better. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thank you for joining us, Liana. Uh, thank you welcome. for sharing this movie with us. Yeah, th- uh, thank you very much, Liana. Did you want to say something else? Oh no, I was just accepting praise. <laughs> okay, okay. Very humble one. <laughs> so humble. Hey, no, you know what? Uh, she, Leanna's been here twice, and she's gone two for two. Both of the movies that 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 we've talked about with you have been bangers. So I cannot wait mm-hmm. for when you're back she's, again. She's also been putting up with me turning that the apartment silent mode for the three hours that we use to record these. I'm things. just like running around, like silently yelling at Sirius. <laughs> Stop it! Stop it! And he's yeah. like. Where can I make the most noise? (laughs) Yeah. All right. So we will see you in two weeks. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.